Depp. That was Catherine's four-year-old last night. Her four-year-old. Mum tells you to do something. Her four-year-old turned to her and went, No way, Jose! Oh! And you're not allowed to hit them anymore. No, I know, it's terrible. After my little boy telling me at the weekend that he didn't love me and he wasn't my friend anymore, last night he said, Daddy, I like you a lot. All right, I'm back. I'm back. Dad's back. Morning to listener Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up. There are fears a new casino in Luton Town Centre could lead to an increase in gambling addiction. We'll speak to a reformed gambler to see what he thinks. An HIV charity in Hertfordshire faces closure within two months. The people who use it say they're devastated. We'll hear from them in the next half an hour. And the public health minister says office workers should take a proper lunch break rather than engaging in the disgusting habit of eating a sandwich at their desk. I do it, but I agree with this. Want to get in touch? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me uh, an email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. But look, all of the phone lines are empty. Why would you not pick up the phone and dial 08459 455 555? BBC Three Counties Radio. A decision is due over proposals for a casino in Luton, one of only eight in England. Uh, there are more than eight casinos in, in, in England, aren't there? Two bidders have applied to expand existing casinos, while two developers want to build new premises at Church Street and Kimpton Road. A local church is objecting to the plans for one of the sites. They've been involved in counselling some people with a gambling addiction. They don't feel a casino should be in the middle of a university town. We'll speak to them after seven o'clock. The bids for the sites are due to be considered by Luton Borough Council's licensing committee later today. Well, Stephen Gardner is a reformed gambler from Milton Keynes and is trying to set up a support group for gamblers. Morning, Stephen. Morning. Tell me your story about how you got involved with gambling and how it took over your life. Uh, oh, briefly, I just, um, I, I, I actually entered the betting shop at, uh, at 21 and, uh, and for the next 23 years I just simply gambled, cheat, stole and, uh, <laughs> connived my way into, uh, spending everything I earned. Was it, was it an immediate, uh, addiction? Did you go, oh, did, yeah. did you carried on, you know, as soon as that first bet was placed you thought, oh, hang on a second, I've, I've found the drug for me. Yeah, basically it's as simple as that. It's an escapism, and that was my escapism. I think we all have, or most of us do have, something in there that we're either obsessed about, and in some case, most cases, it's a healthy one. It may be sport, but with me, it was, uh, it was gambling. and switched the light on, and I just want to do it over and over again, so... And you did for, what, 23 years? Yeah, and I finished homeless as a result of that. Wow. Uh, but, you know, my life's back together again now because I've stopped, but, um, and do I've got help to do that, where it is, it's casinos will... Uh, Undoubtedly, they'll, they'll increase the amount of addictive gamblers that there have are you, at the moment. Stephen, have you sat down and added up all the money that you spent gambling? Um, I did a little experiment when I was in a rehab centre. Yeah. And we worked out I'd wasted uh, in six figures uh, over... A, and I'm just a warehouse worker. I was just a warehouse worker. So, um, yeah, six figures. We're, we're, we're talking about sort of around £300,000. Blimey. Well, it's more or less 90% yeah. of my earnings will be figured I'd probably wasted in the game. It's, 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 remember, that's an estimated figure. Yeah. It's, it's not. You, could have, you could have bought a house for that. I could be sitting here without a mortgage, yeah. Yeah. How does, it, how does that make you feel? Sorry? How does that make you feel, knowing that? Um, I, I, to be honest with you, it, it doesn't bother me now, I'll probably Good. be honest. Yeah. Which is a problem that the, the gamblers are unable to do when they're in the act of it. It's, it's, they're always chasing their tail, so... So um, how, did you, how did you get, get clean and, and sort yourself out? I went in the rehab centre, 
I'll find myself homeless as well. There's, a, there's an end point, everybody. There's a, there's, a, um, there's a point when you've had enough. Yeah. And if you're lucky enough and somebody picks up on it, and you're in a... You're in a and for me, it was being homeless. Mm. Uh, you decide you, that that's as far as you can go. Uh, and, and so, therefore, you decide to turn your life around. Or you make, do you know what? I don't even know if I made a conscious decision to turn my life around at the point. I think I was lucky enough to have experts around me who were able to manipulate me, me thinking into, into waking up, if you want to call it that, and realising uh, my, my situation. And, that, of course, there was, a, there, was, there was an opportunity, rather, because at, at the point, after 20 years of repeating the same process over and over again, there's a certain insanity there. Mm. So you're unable to... Um, to think sort of rationally about uh, your, your own situation, and, uh, and 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 of course a sense of denial that means that you, you can't face up to it because you've done it so often. Um, you really, you, you know, you can't look at yourself from the inside out. So, what sort of rehab was it? Was it a twelve-step centre, or, or what? How did they kind of realign your thinking? Um, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was based on a twelve-step between they. It was. Um, I can't really describe as being bashed about mentally for a couple of weeks yeah. and then put back together. Yeah. Um, but for me, it worked. Now, not not for everybody, but for me, it worked. Yeah. And um, and have you been uh, d- since that rehab? Because I know, I've, listen, I've got friends who are alcoholics and whatever, uh, yeah. and and the, the rehab hasn't always worked. Since going to rehab and coming out the other side, have, have, have you managed to stay away from from yeah. gambling yeah. completely? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I imagine that gives you a sense of a real sense of freedom. Knowing that you have a decision, you, you know you have a choice you can make. Of course, that's what you get. You get a choice. You, yeah, get a you choice. don't perceive you have one that, uh, when you're when you're still in it. You, you you're stuck in a, uh, a uh, your own personal misery, and you don't really have the motivation or the inclination to to, to pull yourself out of it. Are you worried, Stephen, that, that if this casino gets the go ahead, it might it, it, it it's going to cause more people to become addicts? Well, it will do because it's it's. Um, it's, look, most people are going to be able to go out to a casino and have a great time. Yeah. And, they'll, and they might do it once a month, once a, once a week, maybe in some cases. They might be able to do it, I don't know, once a year as, a, as an annual treat. But it's always going to find out, and that's the nature of gambling, it's going to find out the person who wants to repeat the action as soon as they possibly can. Repeat the process of the excitement of gambling. And they will become the frequent visitors. And that is the bread and butter. In the same way that, that for a gambling, for a casino. In the same way that, that a lot of pubs, they do rely on their fair share of alcoholics. Mm. And uh, that's what keeps the business ticking over. That's but it wasn't a casino part. that got you, was it, Stephen? It was you going into bookies. And there are gambling machines everywhere now. Everywhere you mm. go in and there's, there's, there's lottery machines and there's, there's all... Co- you know, you can do roulette machines and everything. So, it, the, by denying the, 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 the 99% of people who will use this casino mm. responsibly, is that really fair? Um, you know, I'm not really... Um, I'm not really sure whether mm. I'm against casinos per se as such. Or generally, the casino, um, for, as you say, for most people, may well be able to enjoy it. I'm only interested in the 1%, as you put it. Yeah. That's my interest. Because, unfortunately, whether we, you know, we, we, you can put a label on it and call it wheat-willed and, and um, you know, and there you go. But, but, I mean, it's the same principle with, um, as I see, with any other addiction. Yeah. You've got, and it's an addiction. This is the point we've got. To, to, you know, most people can drink sensibly and modestly and, and, and leave without 
uh, you know, the, the damage that to drinking alcohol only. Stephen, we have to end it there. I could talk to you all morning. Absolutely fascinating. Stephen Gardner there, reformed gambler. Well done. Keep up the good work. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Would a casino in Luton, would that encourage gambling addicts, do you think? Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Why do Do you eat your lunch at your desk? I do it here at work sometimes, and it is disgusting. A government minister has come out and said it's disgusting, and I agree. I'll tell you why it's disgusting in a bit. It is horrible. Oh, dear. Now, uh, a text on gambling, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Nick says, where I work, there's a one-armed bandit. Oh, you don't hear him called that anymore. The one-armed bandit. And people there have been known to put 20 quid a time in. Uh, in it on a uh, one uh, twenty pounds a time in it, one a daily basis on a daily basis. I have better things to do with my hard-earned cash. Yeah, twenty quid. I'm, I'm surprised. I bet it's more than that. Those things, they're like a fine heroin. They're very Moorish, aren't they? Not heroin cake. I mean, very Moorish. You just think, well, ah, well, maybe, maybe next time, I might just be able to d- d- do it if I, if I have one more go. It might work out a little bit better. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should we have a quick look at the front page of the newspaper? Yes, it'll be rude not to. The Times has a picture of a man with a bionic hand. Wow. Apparently he can crush, like, beer cans and stuff with it. Chris Taylor, who lost his right hand in a jet ski accident with his £47,000 bionic replacement. The first with a thumb that can be moved electronically. Always good to be able to move the thumb electronically. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Uh, And businesses... Business backs PM's call for mandate on Europe. Uh, Merkel ready for talks on Brussels reform. Business leaders give David Cameron a resounding vote of confidence today after the Prime Minister staked Britain's EU membership on his ability to recast Europe. Uh, the Guardian. Uh, more about uh, Cameron and Europe. Um, ap- oh, this is good. Look, apocalyptic threat. Not good, actually. Sorry, let me rephrase that. This is terrible. Apocalyptic threat posed by antibiotic resistance. Britain's most senior medical adviser has warned MPs that the rise in drug-resistant diseases could trigger a national emergency comparable to a catastro- catastrophic terrorist attack, pandemic flu, or major coastal flooding. All because I take antibiotics. That's mental. I'm like a medicine terrorist. Uh, and then there's a picture as well of that ball boy lad that got. I'm not a big fan of football, but even I heard about this. Uh, a Chelsea player kicked a ball boy uh, in the ball boys, uh, and he's he's all kind of rude and stuff. And he, uh, I saw this on Twitter unfolding. I thought, oh, I feel really sorry. I feel really sorry for that ball boy lad. That is bang out of order. But then I read in another paper that actually. He'd been, the ball boy had been tweeting before the game, hey, I'm going to go and waste some time tonight. Going to be a time waster. Going to be a time waster on the pitch. So, do you know what I mean? If that had happened at school, if it had done that at school, he would have got a kicking. I'm not in any way justifying a millionaire kicking a boy. Except in some parts of the world where people go and pay to do that kind of. I'm not in any way justifying it, but I do think, I'll find the bit later on where he was banging on about, oh yeah, I'm going to go and do some hashtag time wasting. Hashtag idiot. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. Merkel hints at deal for Cameron. Uh, scientists, oh, scientists expose the myth of the multitasker. We all know people who like to think they are good at multitasking, but the truth may be that they simply find it difficult to do one thing at a time. Yeah, in your face, girls. Oh, yeah, but girls can multitask. Yeah, you can't do one thing properly, according to the Daily Telegraph and Science. Researchers say that multitaskers end up juggling activities, not because they're good at it, but because they are easily distracted and cannot concentrate on the job at hand. 
And it's, it's always girls, yeah, well, we can multitask, you boys can't. Yeah, because us boys like to do one job and we like to do it properly, whereas you girls, oh, gonna do loads of things and not gonna do any of them well. Oh, look, I can clean, I can do the washing and, uh, do the clean the baby and drive a car. Yeah, none of them will. Independent. Handbagged. It's all about David Cameron. Um, Daily Express. Um, there's a lady in a dress at the British Television Awards last night. That went on for two and a half hours. Imagine that. The most vacuous of industries giving each other vacuous awards that mean literally nothing. Uh, the Daily Express. Uh, killer freeze to get worse. Six inches of snow and minus 20 degrees on the way. Uh, the Daily Mail. Uh, television awards uh, and the Prime Minister. And The Sun. I've really given up on The Sun. It's just, it's, it's decided, it's made the decision that it's not going to be a newspaper anymore. So half, over half of the front page is a boy who doesn't look anything like Harry Styles from One Direction, but they've blown his hair so he does look a bit like him. And then the headline, Horsegate exclusive, Shergar King. Burger King chain dumps millions of burgers in dodgy meat alert. Really? Very quickly, we'll, we'll get on to the next story in a minute. Uh, the, 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 this is the, the, the paper that has the story about that um, ball boy. Uh, his name is uh, Charlie. It's called Char- Charlie Morgan, 17. Um, Charlie had tweeted his time-wasting intentions before the 77th minute incident, saying, The king of all ball boys is back, making his final appearance. Hashtag needed, hashtag for, hashtag time-wasting. Hashtag idiot, hashtag you probably deserved a little bit of a boot. Now, a charity which supports people living with HIV in Hertfordshire faces closure within two months after having its funding cut. The Crescent in St Albans was receiving £200,000 a year from Hertfordshire City Council and Hertfordshire NHS Trust. But people are now being asked to travel to Watford and use the services of another support service, HeartAid. For the last two years, the Crescent has been surviving on volunteers using their own money, with one donating £10,000 life savings. Our reporter, Sophie Solari, has been speaking to people who use their services. I was actually referred to the Crescent from uh, a nearby hospital, the hospital that I go to. Um, they also had um, alternative therapies where they used to uh, give us some um, acupuncture and massaging and things like that. I also had came to, uh, to the Crescent for a massage. I've been able to have those therapies, and uh, my, my body seems to be tightening up and aching, and more susceptible to cramps, etc. Which the the massage solved. Uh, it's week to week. Uh, I was fine, but I haven't had a massage for six to eight weeks now, and my body's. Like seizing up, I, I feel. Plus the, the the aspect of meeting other people that are in the same position as you. But could you not do that at HeartAid? I wouldn't even know how to get to HeartAid, uh, especially where. Apparently they've got a satellite in Watford, but uh, from what I've heard, there's ne- never people there. Have you not given the new service a go? Um, to be honest, no, no I haven't, because I, I haven't been able to get a hold of anyone. Why is it not an alternative for you? If people go on the bus, it takes two or three hours. So by the time you get over there, mm. you're tired because of the travelling and you have, you have your uh, five minutes and then you've got to wait for a bus to come all the way back. I don't get to see my friends anymore. I don't have any massages anymore. I don't, I don't even get acupuncture anymore. Yeah, the reason is why people are so disgruntled about this business is that... 
the Crescent hasn't been there for two years. It has been there for over 25 years helping people. I can tell you that I was diagnosed with the HIV virus in 98 and I was taken to the Crescent by my sister and sat down and told what to do. Two years later they got me a home. They found me benefits. They found me a dentist. Would you believe that there was a great difficulty getting a dentist to take on a patient with AIDS? Well, we contacted Hertfordshire County Council. They declined to take part in the show, but said a decision was taken by the County Council that the best way to provide a more uniform and also a more cost-effective service was to move toward a single county-wide provider for that service. The contract was awarded to Hartsaid in Watford, and they are delivering the service that we have commissioned. We recognise that many people receiving support from the Crescent, Crescent would prefer to continue to do so, but we cannot afford to fund multiple charities. Uh, and later in the programme, we'll be hearing uh, of one woman's story of what it's like to live with HIV. Now, as we've just discovered, it turns out that people who multitask aren't very good at doing one thing on their own. So, fingers crossed, Catherine Boyle will be okay giving us the news and sport. Let's see what happens, shall we? That's your latest news and sport. I'm off to think about some fluffy kittens. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. What this show needs, I've decided, is a pet. We need a, a pet for the show. Like a cat or a bird or a puppy. Just something that we can have in the studio and we can, you know, can run around the offices and stuff. Just, you know, I think it'll be good for team morale. Coming up in the next... Uh, or a monkey, yes. A monkey in a bellboy suit. Always good. A monkey dressed as a bellboy? But yes, yes, we could do that with a tray serving drinks. Coming up in the next half an hour. Uh, do you remember yesterday we told you all about the drug cat? It's a herbal stimulant, and yesterday it was legal. Well, government advisers were considering whether to ban it or not. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, went along to the committee mo- meeting. They've made a decision. He'll tell us what that was next. And eating a sandwich at the office desk over a keyboard is disgusting, according to the public health minister. I do it, and I agree. It's blooming horrible. I'll tell you why in a bit. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Uh, you can facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR or you can email us 3CR at bbc.co.uk. And those suggesting that uh, Ollie, our work experience boy, is in fact the show's monkey in a bellboy uniform, that, that is very, very unfair. Very unfair. A little bit offensive, actually. A little bit rude. Morning, this is Inley, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, you may remember yesterday, uh, we were talking about the drug cat. Well, government drug advisers have rejected calls to ban the herbal stimulant. The report by the Advisory Council on the misuse of drugs says that there is insufficient evidence that it actually causes health problems. The drug is used mainly by the Somali community in London and Milton Keynes in particular, where the local MP has called for it to be made illegal. Uh, Our reporter, Tony Fisher, you've been studying this report. It's quite a big report, isn't it? It's quite a chunky report, yes, Ian, yes. Well, you know, they don't do things by halves. No, this, uh, researched it well. This, this council, advisory council on the misuse of drugs. What is CAT, exactly? CAT is, um, it comes from Kenya. It's grown in Kenya on trees, it's leaves. And what you do is you can buy it here legally, markets, that sort of thing. Mainly used by the Somali community, Yemenis, Ethiopians. Um, not really Western society, though, because... Mm. It takes a long time to ingest because right. you've got to chew it. It's obviously got to go into your bloodstream, into your stomach. It takes a long time. It's an hour and a half, two hours to actually take effect. It's like a stimulant. Like uh, They liken it to um, amphetamines, mm-hmm. speed. And it, 
increases alertness and uh, awareness and self-confidence and that sort of things. So they say students apparently use it. Um, um, but it's, as I say, it's mainly confined to Somali communities, as in Milton Keynes, those right. sort of places. And uh, you chew it, very bitter tasting, apparently. Not very pleasant. All right, the report says that 14 people have died from cat. Yes, that's just a paragraph in the, in the, in the whole report. Uh, somewhere it's tucked away, 14 people have died. But um, they say there's no actual specific link. Uh, 14 deaths occurring, which had a potential link with cat consumption, uh, but there's no direct link to cat. So what they're okay. saying is, 14, but yes, 14 people have died, and they've all taken cat, but we can't say that because they've died, they've def- it's definitely because of the cat. Um, but there's, there are campaigners out there who've been campaigning for a long time, because they last looked at this in 2005, mm. when they came up with the same conclusion, and uh, there's campaigners out there, there's Abuka Awali, is one of those campaigners, and he isn't very happy. We are very devastated, um, very disappointed, um, heartbroken. Feels, we feel that um, we have been rejected and our issues and our suffering has been ignored. But they found no evidence that it caused any harm to the person or to society. There were no links to terrorism. So why not carry on, keep it controlled, keep it legal? There was a serious cases of cat-related deaths, 14 cases. If that's not ev- enough evidence of medical harm, I don't know how many more of our youngsters have to die for this, for this council to realise enough is enough. Yeah, just, just on those 14 deaths, mm. Ian, um, the report says in most of these cases the role of cat was unclear, and they say on balance it's not likely that cat was responsible for death in these cases, although they say as a scoping exercise it may have value. So I think, although he, he, he's right in saying there are 14 cat-related deaths, we, you know, we need to sort of take it in, in, in context. Yes. Uh, he wants the drug banned, uh, like in lots of other countries in Europe, and Holland have just recently banned it two weeks ago. But he says mainly it, it destroys the Somali community, it just destroys the families because the men go and use it, they go to cat houses and spend all the family's money there, chewing, up all night, all congregate, going out. And um, the mothers, he said, suffers in silence. Youngsters grow up, turn to crime, and if you take it long enough you can end up uh, with serious mental problems uh, and he made the point that because the people who have died are young black people uh, and confined to that to that community and not to uh, not to the white community is he said he told me we don't have to be white to be protected and he says a problem isolated to somali community uh, so let's not bother that's what he's mm. saying the attitude is of the uh, advisory council on the misuse of drugs so what does the advisory council say well, they say, as I said in that, that, that question I put to them, they said there's basically no societal problems, no health problems, there's no links to terrorism, there's no, uh, there's no, there's no, the theory that it, uh, it, it funds organised crime, they couldn't find any, any reason for that, um, but uh, it, it is it is banned in a lot of countries, as I say, uh, and just recently in Holland, but not here. And that's something that I put to the co-chair of the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs, Dr Hugh Matheson. Cat is illegal in quite a number of countries, but it's fair to make the point that in many of the countries where it's illegal, the law is not enforced. 
and in other countries such as Australia where the law with regard to cat varies from state to state. Personal use is allowed. They've just had a, another look at it very, very recently in the last few months and they, they haven't banned cat. Personal use is permitted. So it does vary across the world. In those places where it's been banned, such as Holland most recently, it does seem to be a political decision rather than an evidence-based decision. Mm. So, I mean, basically they're justifying not banning it in this country, uh, saying although it's illegal in other countries, they don't actually enforce it. Um, and he goes, he did tell me that the amount of being imported is actually going down into this country. And there was a theory that England, UK could become a hub for importation, but he says that's not borne out by the figures, by Home Office figures, VAT figures, uh, and that sort of thing. Why are the, uh, so many people in Milton Keynes keen to have this drug banned? Um, well, they say it mainly for antisocial behaviour reasons, and the report did uh, look at that, that it does cause antisocial behaviour with large groups of young men congregating in one place. Um, and they say people in Milton Keynes say there are cat houses uh, and as large people, large groups of people go round there, take cat, come out all in one go... Gosh, yeah. people coming out of a house. Yeah, you know, I, I, but but the, I think the main reason is that uh, for what from what from what uh, Abu Kawali was saying is it causes family breakdown within mm. the Somali community, and and I think the the the, the, the West the, the the white people living on estates like Fishermead see that from the outside, um, but it, it is a problem more confined to the Somali community because as, as as Abu Kawali said earlier, it's the women who suffer in silence, it's the men who take these drugs, uh, these drugs. The long-term users it can cause mental health problems, um, and uh, you know it, it, they say it's not not good basically for people on the estate. Um, so the government drug advisors have said, "Don't ban it." Does the, is the Home Office going to listen to them, or, or will it ban it? How does it go, work now? Well, we don't we don't know because oh. the, uh, the 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 chair of the council was asked, you know, what's what's going to happen. He said he's done three reports into cannabis, and the Home Office has only taken notice of one of them. Really? Yeah. Wow. But. Uh, I think, judging by this report, judging by the fact that really uh, it doesn't seem to have a, a, a serious negative effect on society or on health, um, and is confined mainly to Somali sort of Ethiopian communities here in this country, and in, you know specifically here in Milton Keynes, um, it looks like uh, I would have thought that um, it's it's going to remain legal. Tony Fisher, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for coming in. Okay, now it's funny this story came up in the papers today. Yeah. I was indulging in a bit of this last week. I thought, oh, this is horrible. I hope no one's seeing what I'm doing. A minister has said, well, it's in the Daily Telegraph and lots of other papers. Uh, the Minister for Public Health, Anna Subri, um, has said that office workers should take a proper lunch break. And she describes eating at a, sam- a sandwich at the office desk over a keyboard as disgusting. And says we should all take the time to cook and enjoy meals. Right, well, that's not actually practically possible, is it? I don't want to go out and pay for a, a lunch every day, so I make a nice little packed lunch and I sit and I have it over the computer keyboard. Now, the reason why I think it's so disgusting, I don't know if it's the same reason as her, is that when I was eating my cheese sandwich, grated cheese, you see, grated cheese and mayonnaise. Ooh. The, th- the thing with grated cheese, you get more bang for your buck. If you slice the cheese, we got, you, there's a whole block gone. Grate it a little bit. Oh, it looks like a full sandwich. Perfect. The problem with grated cheese, and indeed mayonnaise, is bits fall out. Now, if you're eating over a keyboard, where do those bits go? Correct. In between the G and the H. They do. Or maybe in between the, the J and the K. They go in there. They fall in there. Now, this happened the other day. Loads of cheese from my sandwich with mayonnaise fell onto the keyboard. I thought, oh, nuts. I hope no one's watching. Luckily, no one was. 
So I tried to get it out, but by trying to get it out with my fat, stubby Chipolata fingers, the cheese actually went into the keyboard. So, in one of the desks upstairs, one of the keyboards is, is full of cheese and mayonnaise. Now, that's just me doing it. If everybody else is doing it, imagine what horrible, horrible things are in that keyboard. Delia, are you a fan of eating sandwiches at the, at the computer? You are absolutely foul. You pig. are disgusting. It's horrible. It is horrible. Come on, you do it sometimes. I've seen you with snacks up there. Yes, I do do it, actually. I, I do do it. And yeah. the reason being is because I'm so, so busy. Yes, I can S- understand S- these what? views. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> yes, I'm busy. I've not noticed. Well, you won't probably uh, understand that. But, uh, yeah, the, the Minister of Public Health, I mean, she, she's got a point saying we all need a lunch break. But the reality is, Ian, you're busy, I'm busy, everyone yes. in our office is busy. Everyone across the UK right now is very busy. So it's the only option, really, to go out and get a sandwich, either buy it or, or make it yourself and, and eat it at your desk and, and cause a horrible mess a bit like you. Well, it, it, the, uh, the thing is, uh, uh, what I'm going to do later on is I'm going to go upstairs I'm going to tip that keyboard upside down and give it a good old <laughs> whack. Please in don't. fact, Ollie, Ollie can we, we'll set later on in the show, Ollie, who's a, Ollie's our work experience, we're going to send Ollie up to that desk mm. uh, and he's going to tap that keyboard upside down live on air, Justin, and we're well, going to find out exactly what is in there. He I looks disgusted by it. I don't it. know whether you realise this, but since you joined the BBC, yeah. um, suddenly well, we've had a truckload of hygiene wipes that have arrived. <laughs> yes, uh, they Maybe have. You, you may have noticed that, but um, I've been at Luton train station this morning. Yes. Talking to commuters now, they like many people. They are very, very busy. They all eat a sandwich at their desk. So, are they disgusting? Here's what they had to say. Now, Corin, in terms of your eating habits at your desk, tell us about those. I have a pot of porridge uh, for my breakfast. I have a bagel that I make at home for lunch, and a banana. And then, if I have dinner. I maybe go out and grab a sandwich or a ready meal. So, potentially, three meals a day by your computer? Yeah. OK. Is that disgusting? No, I don't think so. I make a mess, but I clean it up. <laughs> we have a cleaner, comes around, cleans the office. So, um, Is that your only option, though, because you're so busy? That, that's what you've got to do? Yes, basically. Um, I mean, I could take a lunch break, but I have a four-hour commute as it is, so mm. the less time that I take away from work, you know, the earlier I can get out the office. Well, here's Lindsay. Lindsay, like many people, you've got a very busy life and you have to eat your sandwich at your desk. Are you disgusting? I am certainly not disgusting. (laughs) I don't think so anyway. (laughs) Other people might disagree. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason you're doing that, is that because you haven't got the time to go out and uh, have a proper lunch? Yes, it is. Has it always been like that for you? Not always, but uh, in these days when people are uh, having to do more, something has to go and it's usually lunch. So in an ideal world, you'd like to get your proper lunch, but the way it is, you just can't do that? I definitely would, yes. Mm. I'd, I'd love to go out every day for lunch, but I just haven't got the time. And when you see other people sitting at their desk and they're eating a sandwich you think that's horrible no I don't (laughs) (laughs) sometimes if they're doing it before me I think I wish that was me (laughs) present day you know you're running and you know you can't you can't stop you can't go out for an hour Mm. lunch break it's a way of life it's a way of life definitely a way of life mind you if you were to see somebody munching away on a sandwich you're looking across do you not find it a little bit weird a little bit horrible not really some people are disgusting eating but um, you know uh, that's that's way of life people different manners you know there isn't a canteen facilities in offices anymore there's just small coffee places where you can 
have coffee and then sit at the desk and have a sleep. <laughs> do you remember the hour lunch break, Justin? <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, the good old days. The, good old, the thing is, as well, if you're eating a sandwich or you've got a bit of cake that's left over from a party, you've got something, you, you've got that in your fingers and you, then you're touching the mouse and then you're yeah. touching the keep. No wonder Jonathan Vernon Smith is so poorly. <laughs> Absolutely. But can you imagine today all those people going into work saying, I don't know whether you've seen this in the newspapers, but uh, the Minister for Public Health is saying that we should be taking a proper one-hour lunch break instead of having a sandwich at our desk. The boss is going to look at them and say, right, OK, uh, and that'll be the end of that conversation. In reality, yeah. you know, life right now for, for everyone is very, very busy, so more and more people, as you heard there, are having to eat their sandwich disgustingly at their desk. Also, if you're going out, if you're going out and buying a lunch every day, what's that, two, two fifty, three quid, mm, m- maybe more? Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. you're just going to spend over a year, that's going to cost you a fortune. It's going to cost a lot of money, but of course, if you make it at home, you're still going to be taking it into the office, you're still going to be having that at your desk, so the problem is still there. You're still not taking a proper lunch break. The rumour going around BBC Three Counties, Justin, yes. well, well, one of the, the rumours going around uh, BBC Three Counties <laughs> about you, is that you're, you're a, ma- a fan of the egg sandwich, yeah. is that correct? <laughs> Absolutely. I love my protein. Being a bodybuilder, you see, I need lots of protein. <laughs> Why are you presenting this false image to the, the, the residents of Beds, Hearts and Bucks, for goodness sakes? Well, you know, I did go through this stage where I was actually eating six eggs for breakfast every single day to beef up a bit, you know? Did you really? Yeah, I did, honestly. I did. That's terrible. You'll get egg-bound. You won't be able to go to the toilet. (laughs) It was was a weird period in my life. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Justin Dealey, the uh, egg-bound correspondent there. Disgusting. Six eggs a day? That's just wrong. What do you think? Is it bad? Is it dirty? Is it disgusting to eat your lunch by your your computer? Partly because it gets everything dirty, and partly because you should be going out and having a proper meal. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, do you have your lunch over your keyboard, or a little snack or something? Um, I'm at home around lunchtime. How long do you work a day? Eight hours, but split into two. Unbelievable. Sophie Tyler, living the dream, I suspect. Split into two, she can't even turn up on time for most of that. Sophie, thank you. Excellent stuff. We'll discuss this more. Morning, dear listener, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Thursday. That means it's nearly the weekend, which is... That's got to be good news, hasn't it, for everybody? Unless you're doing something pretty grim at the weekend, which I guess is a distinct possibility. Lots coming up in the next hour of the show, and as always, I'm sure you'd like to have your say on this. I'll give you uh, the ways to get in touch in a bit. Um, We'll be talking about a decision which is due today on plans for a small casino in Luton. A local church objects. They say casinos should be out of town. Do you think having more casinos will increase problems with gambling? If you've had a problem with gambling, I'd love to hear from you. 08459 455 555. We told you back in September about a Hertfordshire charity which helps people with HIV and AIDS. It was struggling to survive due to a lack of funding. Now they fear it will close in two months. One of the volunteers will be joining me in the next half an hour. And the public health minister says office workers should take a proper lunch break rather than engaging in the disgusting habit of eating a sandwich at their desk. Do you agree? I do it. It is pretty grim, really. It's not very nice. We're going to have a look later on what's um, fallen into the keyboard at the desk I sit at. Oh, I bet it's horrible. Uh, You can go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. You can send us an email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Or, and this is the best way to do it. Look, I can see that uh, all of the lines are free at the moment. You can give me a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Now, will having more casinos in, uh, increase problems with gambling? Four firms are in the running to build a small casino in Luton with a decision due to be reached later today. The Borough Council is one of only ten in the country that can grant the licences. Two bidders have applied to expand existing casinos, while two developers want to build new premises uh, at Church Street and Kimpton Road. Well, earlier on, I spoke to Stephen Gardner. He's a reformed gambler from Milton Keynes. I asked him if a new casino would encourage more gambling. Well, it will do, because it's, it's, look, most people are going to be able to go to a casino and have a great time. Yeah. And they'll... Uh, and I might do it once a month, once a once a week, maybe in some cases. I might be able to do it, I don't know, once a year as, a, as an annual treat. But it's always going to find out, and that's the nature of gambling, it's going to find out the person who wants to repeat the action as soon as they possibly can, repeat the process of the excitement of gambling, and they will become the frequent visitors, and that is the bread and butter, in the same way that, that for a gambling, for a casino, in the same way that, that a lot of pubs, they do rely on their fair share of alcoholics. Well, on the line, I've got Steve Donahue, who's a management consultant who specialises in the gambling in- industry. Morning, Steve. Hey, good morning. Steve, we'll come to you in a second. I'm joined in the studio by Erwin Taddiar, who is the church secretary for Luton Central Baptist Church, which is situated near G Casino, one of the four applicants. Morning, Erwin. Good morning, Ian. Uh, uh, Erwin, why are you opposed to the potential expansion of one of these casinos? Well, primarily, Ian, um, so, let's, let's just set this in context. We were asked, um, as part of the consultation process, to comment on the, um, on, on the plan, on the application by G Casino to, um, to, to expand or to be granted a small casino licence. Um, our opposition, really, is very much in the, the social conscience tradition of Christianity as it has operated in this country for hundreds of years, and this protection of the vulnerable. It is one of the stated objectives of Luton's gambling policy, of licensing policy, that the vulnerable should be protected. Um, Luton Central Baptist Church hosts, uh, at the moment, two uh, gambling uh, addiction counselling groups uh, during the week, with the potential for a third one to be, uh, to be starting to run as well. Uh, on top of that, the, uh, the church and indeed the casino are situated in the town centre in the middle of a university campus and on the edge of a uh, deprived neighbourhood in Luton. The Parktown neighbourhood is, you know, a, an area of social deprivation. What we are saying is, OK, um, the law of the land says there should be small casinos. Uh, a casino will come to Luton, but we are saying where G Casino proposed to put it is not the place to put it. Why is that the wrong place? As we said, you know, we, we host, uh, you know, yeah. gambling, gambling addiction counselling groups. Uh, this is sending out the wrong signals. The objection really is that, you know, if people want to gamble, they should make the, uh, the specific decision to gamble. They should, if they, you know, the location of it, of a casino should be somewhere people should travel out mm. to, to, to engage in, in a, an activity which is legal under the law of the land. They, they can, you know, go and do that. What we're saying is basically minimise the, uh, the incidence of potentially, you know, like casual gambling, you know, and making it available to larger numbers of people. So your, your suggestion would be to have the casino outside of town? so that it makes it harder for, for what you describe as the casual gambler to kind of just wander in off the street. Quite right, yes. Uh, Steve, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Have it outside of town, so th- those that are perhaps uh, more vulnerable have, have an, a bit of protection? Uh, it would make sense if there was kind of any hard evidence to back it up. Um, there, this kind of idea has been based on old research which basically stated you increase the level of gambling you increase the level of problem gambling and what we've seen around the world is actually this doesn't happen um and what what the researchers 
are coming out with now is that they think this is due to the problem gambling prevention measures which have been put in place. So a casino is the most regulated, uh, heavily supervised gambling environment you can go into. So all the staff are trained to look for problem gambling behaviours. But Steve, they're not going to... If if there's a bloke there that's that's, um, spending his life savings and his wife's life savings and has just sold his car, they're not going to know that, are they? They're not going to... And also, they're not going to turn him away if he's spending cash. Uh, well, firstly, yes, they are if they think he's showing problem gambling behaviour. Well, how will they know? Well, because people show signs of distress. No. Yes. Yeah. No, people do not sit there and gamble their life away calmly with a smile on their face. They show signs of distress. There's also other activities, the, the amount of play, the frequency of play. But they won't know, but they won't know Steve, how, whether that person can afford that... Or not. Then well, no, if there's well, someone turning is, up every I single day. This is, this is an inherent problem with gambling per se, yeah. is that, I mean, it's the same with national lottery um, tickets. You, nothing stops you going up no. and buying a million. No, but I, I think that saying that the staff at these, these casinos are trained to spot people that may be gambling addicts, I, I, I don't quite know, uh, uh, having worked with people who are addicts, I don't quite know how they're going to spot that. Well, they... <coughs> How, how, is, how is a croupier or someone behind the bar going to go, hang on a minute, that bloke there, yeah, he's, he's, he's sold his house to pay for this, we, we're not going to serve him anymore? Well, no, obviously they're not going to know the individual no. financial circumstances of each customer. What you tend to do, I mean, first let's, let's look at problem gamblers, firstly, are a very small proportion of the population. Mm. Um, less than 1%. Uh, secondly, most of the research at the moment is leading to the, the the idea that problem gamblers are kind of born rather than just created. Steve, let's, let's, yeah. let me interrupt you for a second. Let's put those points to, to Irwin. Mm. Just having a casino isn't going to make someone an addict. Yeah. It's kind of inherent within them, Irwin. What, yeah. What's your take on that? Well, there is research to, suge- to suggest that, you know, I think you know, the, the British Gambling Commission's own uh, research suggested that uh, there was like, 0.07% of people in the UK were pathological gamblers, which are, you know, the diehard mm. gambling addicts. Uh, and there was another potentially up to 6% who are at risk yeah, from gambling behaviour. This is methodologically um, questionable and is not being continued. The research is, is invalid, Erwin. Well, th- th- this, th- this is something for the Gambling Commission to... There's okay. a lot of questions about okay. the way... It's been conducted. Okay, we could. I don't want to yeah. particularly argue about all the research because yes, we we could do that. Yeah. But but Erwin, the, 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 the gambling is gambling. There's such a small percentage that are that are gambling addicts or potentially gambling addicts. Why should those people who can gamble responsibly? I can gamble responsibly. Why should I suffer um, and be forced to travel further just to protect that tiny mi- minority who who will, be, who will find places to go and gamble anywhere? It is, as you say, basically a protection of, of, the, of the minority. I suppose, you know, based on our, our perspective on things, basically we, we are looking at um, really affording people who are most at risk 
uh, protection from themselves mm. at the end of the day. Um, making that less likely to, uh, ma- making it more difficult is you know, one way of going towards that. We are pragmatic about this issue. You know, we are not you know, basically po-faced Puritans to say, you know, thou shalt not enjoy yourselves at all. Mm. No, we're saying, you know, enjoy yourself, do it responsibly, but make it also, put enough safeguards around it to ensure that those who are, would be affected by this have that protection. The Church's letter of objection was the only opposition to any of the four schemes. It was indeed. Does yeah. that surprise you? Um, no, we were only asked to comment on basically the, the scheme which was closest to us, which was in line with basically the, the consultation mm. guidelines. And no one else objected? I noticed that there were no other objections to any of the other casino Does that disappoint you? Plans. Um... I'm trying to think of what the other locations were, but I suppose, you know, we would say the G Casino abuts our, our, our premises. Yeah. And they say, you know, because of the role that we play and, and the hosting role that we have, like, basically, Gamblers Anonymous. And uh, it was, you know, for, for us, um, uh, a, a thing, you know, we need to make a stand on this and yeah. we, need, we, need to, we need to outline our position on this quite clearly. Steve, do you have any uh, uh, sympathy for, for those people that, that are struggling with, with uh, what oh, is an addiction? Absolutely. The industry does a massive amount, puts lots of money into research, lots of money into treatment, and, and this is, I have to say, what certain parties are never willing to accept is that actually the industry doesn't want problem gamblers. Mm. The industry wants to run and does run a highly regulated um, leisure activity for adults, which it realises affects a tiny percentage of its customers and wants to do everything it can to help them. Um, What we have to do is take this in context. The reason why there is a license in Luton is because what was set up in the 2005 Gambling Act was a a pilot study. And so we have 16 licenses, eight large, eight small, and they are in a variety of locations which were chosen by the Casino Advisory Panel who chose them as a test to see what the impact would be if you had them in different types of areas. So the reason Luton was chosen was because it would be in an urban area. Okay, Steve, we have to... Uh, when you got 20 seconds, anything you want to come back and say? Um, I, I just basically say, you know, like... It was, it was shared with me by one of the people who attends one of the gambling groups mm. in church that, you know, their quest for a win is equivalent to a Christian search for salvation. I should hope, you know, if a resistance for that kind of... That, that kind of power in your life like, is basically, you know... That, that, that speaks volumes in terms of okay. like... I mean, thank you very much for coming, dude. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Be interested to hear your story. If you or your family have been uh, uh, touched by gambling addiction, and it is a di- an addiction, uh, and it's recognised by the World Health Organisation as a, a medical condition. Now, a charity which supports people living with HIV in Hertfordshire faces closure within two months after having its funding cut. The Crescent in St Albans was receiving £200,000 a year from Hertfordshire County Council and Hertfordshire NHS Trust. But people are now being asked to travel to Watford and use the services of another support service, Hearts Aid. Our reporter, Sophie Soleri, has been speaking to people who use their services. I was actually referred to the Crescent from my uh, nearby hospital, the hospital that I go to. Um, they also had um, alternates, alternative therapies where they used to uh, give us some um, acupuncture and massaging and things like that. I also had came uh, to the Crescent for a massage. I've been able to 
have those therapies and uh, my, my body seems to be tightening up and aching and more susceptible to cramps etc which the, the massage solved uh, it's week to week uh, I was fine but I haven't had a massage for six to eight weeks now and my body's like seizing up I, I feel plus the, the the aspect of meeting other people that are in the same position as you but could you not do that at heart's aid i wouldn't even know how to get to heart's aid uh, especially where apparently they've got a satellite in watford but uh, from what i've heard there's ne- never people there have you not given the new service a go um to be honest no, no i haven't because I, I haven't been able to get a hold of anyone why is it not an alternative for you if people go on the bus, it takes two or three hours. So by the time you get over there, mm. you're tired because of the travelling and you have, you have your uh, five minutes and then you've got to wait for a bus to come all the way back. I don't get to see my friends anymore. I don't have any massages anymore. I don't, I don't even get acupuncture anymore. The reason is why people are so disgruntled about this business is that the Crescent hasn't been there for two years it has been there for over 25 years helping people i can tell you that i was diagnosed with the hiv virus in 98 and i was taken to the crescent by my sister and sat down and told what to do two years later they got me a home they found me benefits they found me a dentist would you believe that there was a great difficulty getting a dentist to take on a patient with aids the feeling of the building is still existing because of the love there we're losing our home well for the last two years the crescent has been surviving on volunteers using their own money one of those uh, is ian murta and he joins me now uh, ian well, we last spoke to you in september i think it was That's what's right. happened since then um since then um Obviously, at the end of August, everybody was made redundant, so all the staff went. Just going to move this a little uh, yeah, bit closer. Sure. There we go. Um, and uh, after that, it was decided by a small group of volunteers that they would try and keep it going for as long as possible. Mm. Uh, we did get some assistance from some very generous Liberal Democrat local councillors who accessed their uh, locality budgets to help us with gas and electricity mm. just to keep it going as a volunteer service. But that was only really to enable us to get through to the the point where the new contract that was in tender at the moment as you're probably aware with Hertfordshire County Council was actually to go through so we were invited by the County Council to apply for this Uh, as part of that process is a pre-qualification questionnaire uh, which examines all sorts of aspects of your operation your staff qualifications experience policies procedures etc and we passed all of that bar the financial side of things the the competency side of things uh they refused to allow us to proceed because they said we'd been spending more money than we had as income for the last two years Mm. it's hardly surprising really when they were the people that stopped funding us how much of your own money have you ploughed into this project um i think in total now it must be in the region of about ten thousand well um i was uh, left a small amount of money by my uh, paternal grandmother um who I'd been discussing this whole situation with for some time yeah. um, earlier uh, in the last couple of years, uh, which has helped me 
with that. You sold your car as well, you uh, I sold my car at Christmas, yes, to, to see me through a little bit longer. So you're dedicated to this. But how much longer can you go on surviving on donations and, and you know, from your own pocket? Unless we have something significant in. I mean, we've got a lot of people promising things, and some people have been incredibly generous and continue to be. But unless something radically changes, then we've probably got a couple of months. Really? Mm-hmm. What happens then? Get a job. It, clo- it, it closes. Yeah. Yeah, Hearts County Council say that Hearts Aid service is more efficient, uh, it's more central, it can help people countrywide. Why can't people just go there? Uh, the problem with the uh, service in Watford, from both my opinion and that of very many people that use the Crescent, is that it's not a sole-use site. There is no uh, area where they can go, or a separate entrance or a, a separate facility. You have to go in, in a, into a shared service environment, and people are naturally concerned that there will be people there who will see them and know that if they're not here for one thing, they must be here for the other. Mm. So you've got an automatic disclosure risk there. Um, and also, up until extremely recently, I think in the last week or so, it was only available three days a week. Well, eight hours spread over three days a week. So. Right. And you have to make an appointment, as you've heard from some of the sound bites of, from people that have been talking, uh, that just don't find it as a, an equitable service. Uh, we were promised, we were reassured and promised again that what was being offered by HeartsAid would be as good as, or a direct replacement for at least, the Crescent services, and that has never happened. HeartsAid's contracts were cut short by a year. Mm. Uh, they now decided to put the whole thing out to tender. Um, we were invited to, to participate, but then I'm automatically disqualified. So. Right. 200 grand a year you're getting from Hearts County yeah. Council. There are people who would say, listen, everyone's making cuts. Everyone is, is struggling, uh, and 200 grand a year is a lot of money to go to, to, go to a centre like this. Yeah. What would you say to them? I'd say all you've got to look at is the cost of medication for one person diagnosed today. If somebody contracts HIV at this point... The latest estimates, just for medication alone and medical attention, not social care costs or anything else, is £360,000 a year. So if by the work we do with schools, colleges, the prison network and what have you, manage to stop one person from contracting HIV, we've effectively funded ourselves mm. for a year or more, nearly two years, in fact. So your work isn't just about helping people with HIV, it's, it's about prevention yeah, as well. exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the work that we, we were doing when we had a full complement of staff was going to these sort of environments and educating people and also maintaining uh, medication regimes for those people that are infected mm. um, because when somebody's under a, a, a proper regime and, and, and being looked after, then their chances of passing HIV on are minimal, if non-existent. Um, and also the testing services that we provided, the free testing, uh, once somebody's diagnosed, they're then into the treatment regime, then their viral load goes down, then their transmission risk is minimal. So you've got two months left. Yeah. What happens then? What, what, what do you do? You're, you're out of the running for this, other, for this tender. You've been yeah. told you, can't, you, you don't qualify for this tender. So that's it, isn't it? Well, is there anything else you can do? Well, I'm, as I've, I think I've mentioned before, I'll have to do something drastic, perhaps. I can't see the County Council now ever wanting to fund us again. They seem to be firmly of the opinion that 
the sooner we're out of the way, the better. Mm. And anything they can do to hasten that, they will do. So it'll have to be something more direct that forces action from somewhere else. Well, you've, you, I know you've been on before and you've, you've talked about chaining yourself to uh, uh, a, a wall or something. Is, yeah. is this all um, puff and blustery? Is this actually going to happen? No, no. I'll, if necessary, I, there's some nice railings outside the Crescent. I'll lash myself to those. And uh... Will that have any effect, though? Will, will that really have any? I mean, it will show that you're committed, but mm. beyond that... What will that achieve? Well, I, it's my my last card, really. It's anything left I can do. Right. Um, <laughs> the, the the situation is you're left with all of these people who can't really speak for themselves, apart from the the, the very brave souls I think who've come forward. Yeah. Um, you've got a lot of people who have nowhere else to go. Mm. They don't have an alternative. And I was always taught that if you see someone who is unable to defend themselves and they're being effectively oppressed or, 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 or um, controlled or, or ignored, then you have to stand up and talk for them. Mm. If you can do it, then you should. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Well, Hearts County Council aren't here, but I'm sure they're listening to this, or they will listen to this at some point. What's, what's your message to them? Um, I think Hearts County Council have to live up to... <laughs> That both their their motto and also the sort of name and show that they have got heart mm. this isn't a funding cut this isn't about saving money this is about preserving a local service hearts aid effectively um the amount of money that they were giving hearts aid is effectively double what they had before all of this started so they're effectively getting our money it's not saving them any money in fact it's costing them more because they're now having to pay rent for premises which they weren't doing when they were using us mm. so more money is going on fixed costs than is going on uh services to people so that can't be the right way around surely the idea is to save on back office costs and premises and increase the amount of money if it has to be reduced on what's there to provide services for people Ian, uh, no doubt we'll speak to you again at some point in the future. Thank you, um, thank you very much for coming in uh, today. Uh, from the Crescent, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR is the place if you want to go. No, no, don't keep putting adverts up for your plumbing and heating business, Tony. Look, because I can just get rid of it just like that. For goodness sake, that's not what it's for. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, do you remember yesterday's show? Wasn't it great? If you didn't uh, hear it or you don't remember it, then go and listen to it on the BBC iPlayer. Uh, Anyway, we told you all about the drug cat. It's a herbal stimulant. It's legal. Yeah, I know some of you got quite excited by that prospect. Government advisers were considering whether to ban it. It turns out that they're not going to. MP Mark Lancaster wanted it to be banned. We'll catch up with him in a couple of minutes. And uh, are some foods more acceptable to eat at your desk than others? At lunchtime or, or, or little tea break, do you sit at your desk... A munch on a sandwich, or an apple, or an orange. Oh, stinky orange. No, don't eat oranges in public, they stink. Or maybe you have, um, like, a little pot of pasta that you made the night before. Paul Scoynes, the political correspondent here at BBC Three Counties Radio, makes his own pot noodles. I know! How, how clever of him. Well, the new Minister for Public Health describes eating a sandwich at the office desk over a keyboard as disgusting. We'll find out why in a little bit. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Uh, or you can uh, send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, more importantly, you can give us a phone call. All the lines are free. 08459 555555. The government's official drugs advisor have rejected calls to ban the drug known as CAT. 
um, even though it's possibly been linked to 14 deaths in this country. The Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs found insufficient evidence that it caused either health or social problems. Uh, Well, it's widely used by members of the Somali community, specifically in Milton Keynes. And Milton Keynes North MP Mark Lancaster, who we spoke to yesterday, rejoins us again this morning. Morning, Mark. You must be disappointed with this. Yes, we are a bit disappointed with it, really. But um, it's worth remembering that the ACMD are just an advisory body uh, and they will be advising the government, but not ultimately making the decision. Also, primarily, they were looking at um, the health concerns. And I understand the body actually had a split decision. Um, They did accept that in some cases there was uh, liver toxicity, uh, but on balance decided that it wasn't overwhelming. So I think really the fight goes on, but um, certainly I'm slightly surprised by the decision. We spoke to a professor yesterday, one of the people who um, uh, advised the advisory council, uh, and he had actually tried cats, and, and he said that some of the, uh, the claims made by the anti-cat uh, uh, group were exaggerated, that it, it takes an hour and a half for you to get the hit, um, that it's not particularly prolonged, uh, it doesn't make you aggressive, uh, it, it doesn't last 48 hours, it lasts at best a few hours. Well, I think different people have different opinions. There's probably a um, difference between, with great respect to the professor, trying it once as a one-off, uh, and a community that use it on a regular basis uh, and almost sort of um, have it every other day. Uh, I think they are two very different positions. But, of course, um, there's many other aspects to this, um, apart from just the health aspect, which is primarily what ACMD looked at. And I think, really, the community are primarily concerned with the knock-on impact of chewing cat and perhaps being out of the the family environment for up to 48 hours and the impact that that has on families. So there's many more aspects than just the health aspect, which is primarily ACMD we're looking at. But but I I don't quite understand the line about being out of... family for 48 hours. What evidence is there to support that? Well, I think if you go uh, into the community in Mills and Keynes or Malfreshies um, around the country, Bristol, London, wherever, uh, these cat houses, uh, part of the culture is that you will end up um, going into the cat house for a period of 24, 36 hours. Um, it's a much a social event. As a, as so not 48 hours. hours. We've lost 12 hours already. Have you been to these cat houses, Mark? Uh, yes, I have. I've, I've certainly spent a lot of time um, talking to uh, my, my community and um, talking about these things. Actually, it can be longer. I mean, there's no set period of time. You don't go in and start the stopwatch and after no, a set no. period of time come out. So let's not get too hung up on whether it's 36, 48, 53 or whatever hours. Well, no, it is, but it's I, a prolonged I, I, period of time, okay, which but, is the key point. But people can do that when they go to the, to the pub. They can go on benders for a couple of days. Why, why sh- what's the difference? Well, I think there's a big difference, actually, because um, what's actually happening here is that whilst people are away uh, in that gathering, um, they're not contributing to looking after their family, and it's causing family breakdowns. Uh, And this is just one aspect. It's not the only aspect. And I think the argument is that when you combine the various effects on balance, we should follow every other country in the Western world, including America and every other country uh, in Europe, to ban this substance. We are now completely out of step with every other country. Either out of step or leading the way. Mark, what happens, what happens next? What, what, what do you do next? Well, what happens next, simply, is that the ACMD will make their report, uh, well, they, they made their report yesterday, and that's submitted to the Home Secretary. Now, ultimately, it's her who has to make the decision, and the ACMD uh, report will be just one of many factors that she considers. So, uh, um, uh, and what will you do? What, how, how will your campaign progress to get this, this drug made illegal? 
Well, I will simply now request to go and see the Home Secretary mm. again to make sure that when she makes her decision, it's a balanced decision based partly on this report uh, and other factors. Um, but, you know, actually things have moved from seven years ago when the ASMD last uh, reported because they now accept that there could be some impact from a health point of view. One of the biggest problems we faced is that so little information has been mm. collected. They're also saying that for the first time, um, cats should be recorded in hospitals so we can begin to gather the evidence. This has never happened before. So actually, many respects, um, the report is a step forward mm. for at least understanding in broader terms what impact cat has. Have you tried cat, Mark? No, I haven't. Okay. Do you think maybe you should to get a better understanding of, of, of what it is you're, you're fighting against? No, not necessarily, um, because I think I trust my community. So when I have an awful lot of people coming to tell me, um, you know, what it's like, I trust them. There's many things in life I probably could try, but personally don't really want to. Mark, thanks very much for your time. We'll speak to you again at some a later point. Milton Keynes North MP Mark Lancaster there. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. <laughs> David S. Uh, is off all week, I'm afraid. He's, he's very, very poorly, bless him. I sent him a little text and uh, he said he'll, he'll be fine. Don't worry, it's, it's nothing like that. But uh, he's, he's very poorly, poor thing. So David Prever, uh, as far as I know, unless things have changed, we'll be, um, we'll be back on uh, today. Talking about eating uh, at your desk at work is disgusting. It's disgusting, says the new health minister or whatever it is she's supposed to be. I can never quite remember. There's all these different kind of ministers and, and, and bits and pieces. Minister for Public Health, that's it, isn't it? Yes, of course. Uh, Gary says, it's OK for her to talk. Some people don't have the time or money. Do you remember back in the day... Um, when you did get an hour-long lunch break and two tea breaks. Do you remember? I remember working at B-Jams. Had to have an hour-long lunch break and two 15-minute tea breaks. Otherwise, going to the union. We didn't have a union. I was 15 years old. I was working there illegally anyway. Don't get that anymore. And also, I I can't... You know, I'm doing all right. I can't afford to go out and have a lunch every day. I've stopped having coffee. There was a thing in the paper a couple of days ago. Um, and I can't, I'm, I'm going to pluck figures from my backside here. Basically saying, if you go to Starbucks or Costa's or Nero and get a coffee every day, you're spending a few thousand pounds a year. It's going to cost you a fortune to do that. I can't afford to go and have a coffee and a, a lunch every day. Pack lunch. Peter says, a doner kebab gets the office stinky. Oh dear. I tell you what, I was, I was on the tube the other day, yesterday. And someone thought it was appropriate to eat some fried chicken. I don't know whether it was the Colonels, I don't know whether it was Dixie, or any of those other uh, vaguely southern uh, uh, fried chicken places that are opening up. But it flipping... Don't eat, don't eat stinky foods, right, in public places, OK? Don't eat, don't eat fried chicken. Oranges are my big thing. No, don't eat oranges. There's someone at work here who eats really stinky yoghurt. They do really strong, uh, smelling yoghurt. Don't eat stinky foods. Uh, Lynn says, when you, get, when you work part-time, you don't get a lunch break. Less than five and a half hours a day, so you eat at your desk. Uh, Anon says, it's rude from the perspective of smell. Fish, egg, etc. That's Dealey. Dealey loves an egg sandwich. There's, uh, uh, they're impractical from the perspective of crumbs and mess. Pasty, uh, filled jacket potatoes. They're silly from the standpoint of health and well-being, all eating at desk. Don't do it. It's unsociable. You're kidding yourself. You'll get more work done, and you won't even digest it properly because you're eating under stress. Well, there you go. Front pages, shall we? Yeah, why not? Go on, then. Uh, independent. Handbagged. Cameron's promise of EU referendum by 2017 provoked storms of controversy. Deputy PM warns of years of uncertainty because of a protracted, ill-defined renegotiation. 
Eurosceptics, business leaders and top Tory donor join chorus of disapproval. French Foreign Minister says, if Britain wants to leave, we'll roll out the red carpets. Yeah, they would say that, wouldn't they? Blooming French. So that's the Independent saying that, uh, actually, what Cameron said yesterday was a little bit of a disaster. The Times goes the other way. Business backs PM's call for mandate on Europe. Business leaders give David Cameron a resounding vote of confidence yesterday, uh, today after the Prime Minister staked Britain's EU membership on his ability to recast Europe. I met David Cameron once before he was the Prime Minister. It was on the one show. I was asking him to eat a... Uh, for some reason, I was asking him to eat a... Uh, 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 what, what do you call that thing with a sausage and pastry? A, a sausage roll. I have no idea why. It was one of those things that the one show thought was oh so clever and oh so crazy. Ask David Cameron to eat a sausage roll. I found him a most unpleasant gentleman. If I'm honest, I, I, I did like, he was a bit rude to me. As soon as the show had finished, he turned his back on me and spoke to that lady and Adrian Childs, for it was when they were presenting it. And I was kind of sat there for a bit. It's like when you're at a party. Maybe you don't get this. Maybe this is just me. And you're talking to a couple of people, and then one of the people turns their back on you to talk just... And you're kind of out of the conversation. I sat there and was like, I'll be off it. <sighs> Shall I? <sighs> yep. The Guardian. Let's talk, says Merkel. As Cameron gambles on the EU, um, and Nigel Farage is banging on this is a victory for him. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. Merkel hints at deal for Cameron. Um, fathers caring for children at record high. The number of stay-at-home f- fathers reached a record high last year. Figures show as families saw a rise in female breadwinners. Men now make up nearly 10%. Is that all of those who care for children while their partner works? I have told um, the current Mrs Lee many, many times, if she started earning more than me, I would totally quit this nonsense and I would stay at home and look after the kids without a moment's notice. If she had more than me and enough to sustain uh, our uh, luxury lifestyle, yeah, right, I'd stop doing this, this rubbish at a moment's notice. I would send an email saying, sorry, bosses, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm being slightly flippant. I love doing this, of course. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'd stay at home. I have no qualms about being a stay-at-home dad. We'd do it at a moment's notice. The Daily Mail. See, the male's applauding him, but the Independent is not. Yes, Prime Minister. Now go and finish the job, Mr Cameron. David Cameron pulled off the seemingly impossible last night with his historic EU referendum pledge. And then there's a picture of two girls wearing dresses uh, at the uh, television awards. A vacuous, pointless industry uh, applauding itself with vacuous, pointless awards. Well done, guys. Well done. The Daily Express, there's another lady who went to that awards, uh, and killer freeze to get worse. Six inches of snow and minus 20 degrees on the way. And the sun, Jacob, 15, is amazing. Harry Styles double. Identical with the ID spelt 1D, like in the pop group One Direction. He doesn't look like Harry Styles. What they've done is they've blow-dried his hair into a, into a bird's nest, uh, and they think that's enough as a lookalike. Uh, and then Horsegate exclusive, Sugar King, Sugar King, Burger King, hmm? Burger King chain dumps millions of burgers in dodgy meat alert. I mean, the, the sun has just given up all pretense. I'm kind of thinking of dropping the sun from the front, when I look at the front pages, because it's just pointless. We might as well just go and get, I don't know, Roy of the Rovers or something. Victor comic to give us a bit more perspective on what's happening in the world. It's a shame, I used to like the sun, but it's silly now. And coming up, some foods are more acceptable to eat at your desk than others. Is that right? Well, the new Minister for Public Health describes eating a sandwich at the office desk over a keyboard as disgusting. We'll find out just how disgusting my keyboard is. 
before 8am. 08459 555 is the telephone number. Ollie, I, you whispered something in my ear. Were you telling me that, that Elizabeth isn't there? Well, well, we'll play a trail, shall we? Why, why the hell not? Let's do that. Now, are food... Is it acceptable to eat food at your desk? Or is it rude? Are there certain foods that are more appropriate and perhaps a little better suited? I eat cheese sandwiches, grated cheese, mayonnaise, mmm, maybe a bit of pickle in that sandwich as well, uh, at my desk, and it just drops off and falls in between the keys. We're going to send Ollie, our work experience lad, up to uh, my desk in a bit. My desk? Yeah, that's a laugh. Uh, and we're going to have a look and see what's in the keyboard. But we'll do that in a second. The reason we're talking about this is because the Daily Telegraph is among several papers to report calls from the Minister for Public Health, Anna Subri, that office workers should take a proper lunch break. She describes eating a sandwich at the office desk as disgusting and says we should all take the time to cook and enjoy meals. Yeah, like we can do that. Well, Dr Lisa Ackley is the Managing Director of Hygiene Audit Systems Limited in St Albans. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. Is it disgusting to eat at your desk? Well, the thing is, it's, it matters more what you do afterwards, I think, whether you clean your desk up. Mm. And so we're going to find out what lurks under your keyboard, aren't we, in a minute? I'm a little bit concerned. Because I, <laughs> I, I did have a chunk of cheese fall in there the other day, and I tried to get it out, Doctor, but it fell in between uh, the G and the H. <laughs> I think the trouble as well is that if lots of people are doing this, then you, you, you can in some offices get mice infestation. Because, you know, because there's so much food around, they actually think, oh, the kitchen's nice and clean downstairs, but I'm going to go up and see what's in the drawers. Some people, will, the- some people will bat mice. I wouldn't mind. That would make the office a little bit more fun. But some people will bang on about germs and stuff. But germs can't really hurt you, can they? Well, they can, actually. And one of the biggest problems with desks um, is when people are hot desking. So really, it's having consideration for the next people who might be using your desk. So uh, not just uh, not just about eating at your desk, but also if you've got a cold and you're spluttering all over yeah. your keyboard, um, then all the virus particles are going to be on your keyboard ready for the next person. And they can actually survive for quite some time. So, mm. it, you know, courtesy to the next person, if you are hot desking, is, is to get um, sort of uh, an antibacterial wipe or something and just wipe over the keyboard. You can get, you can get keyboard wipes or just any old mm. wipe. Oh, no, um, doctor, really? You want, me to, you want me to wipe down my <laughs> keyboard just so that Jonathan Vernon Smith doesn't catch anything from me? I think he'd be very upset if he was going to catch something from you, wouldn't he? Well, I think we're all going to catch something from him. He's off with a terrible stomach upset. Uh, In that uh, case, he definitely needs to yes. clean the keyboard after he's been eating. Doesn't he? Just dirty boy. Are there some foods that more... Uh, the apples, for example, that's got to be more acceptable, because that, that's not going to make... Apples are clean and pure. That's not going to make a keyboard dirty. Well, it, uh, if your hands get dirty and they're all juicy and, and sugary, then it is going to make the keyboard sticky and then something else will stick to it and so on. So I think it's really, if it's your keyboard, maybe not so much of a worry. But if you're sharing it with other people, it's not very nice to go and you start using a keyboard that someone else has smeared, mayonnaise, apple juice, all sorts of other things, cold viruses, norovirus. Oh. Um, you know, not very nice, really. You're so making the world... in consideration. You're making, I mean, the, the, your fair play, the, the BBC Three Counties office, let's be honest, it, it's disgusting. It, it is a horrible, horrible place for many, many reasons. But you're making it sound terrifying now. Are we all seriously at danger But just by, u- by using the mouse? I have to use the same mouse here as Nick Coffer and Roberto. Am I, am I at danger? Well, so long as they're, they're very nice, clean people, then well. that's absolutely fine. But, you know, if, if they're ill, if they, seriously, if they've got, if they've got an yeah. illness and, and they're starting to go down with something, um, then maybe just give it a quick wipe before you get onto it. <laughs> or, or maybe they could do that for you before they leave. You know, it's just really a matter of being sensible, not being over the top. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, if you are sharing a desk, then just have a bit of consideration for the next person. Uh, and finally, Doctor, my youngest son, he was one on Monday, and it was fantastic. He sneezed in my mouth last night. I, I, I'm, I'm in trouble there, aren't I? 
be carrying anything infectious. Oh, he probably <laughs> is. Ba- babies, all, all children are carrying infectious. Honestly, I, I was there talking to him, and he did a really big unexpected sneeze straight into my mouth. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Dr. Lisa Ackley, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Well, as I say, I do, there is a desk I use. I use a couple of computers, but the one I use after the show is the one that Jonathan Vernon Smith uses as well. Um, and I'd like to have my little little packed lunch, little sandwich, bit of mayo, bit of cheese in there. Um, we've sent our work experience, uh, uh, Ollie Bayliss, into the depths of the three counties in your room. I believe, I believe you're up there now, Ollie. Hello, yes, I am indeed, yes. Well, so, so, so describe exactly where you are and what, what scene you... What's going you, on on my keyboard? Oh, well, I've had to kick David Preva off his seat. Uh, um, because he was currently trying to use your keyboard. He's only a part-time. Yeah, Come on, don't let, him get, don't let him get too cocky. So you've, got, you've kicked him off I my keyboard. I won't let him get anywhere near it. Um, it's what? looking pretty disgusting. It's not disgusting. It's fine. David says it isn't disgusting. I think it's pretty gross. There's a lot of crumbs in and amongst the keyboard. That's turn my it, lunch for later. Turn it, turn it upside down and give it a tap on the back. Let's see what falls out on the desk. Okay, turn it upside down. Yeah. Three magic taps. Yeah. Turn it back over. It's it's not too bad. Okay. There's a few biscuit crumbs. This is Jonathan Vernon Smith's keyboard. Possibly as well. Possibly digestive. Maybe hobnob. I the the hobnob will be Jonathan's. Yeah, hobnob would have been Jonathan's. Yeah. I, I, is there any sign of that cheese that I left in there? No, not really. Oh man, that's, that's just. That's maybe a bit. Maybe a bit of mayonnaise. Yeah, possibly. that's me. No, that's me. Is that you? Oh yeah, that's me. Ollie, by touching that keyboard, we're probably all going to get um, mm. the, the JVS's dicky tummy. Oh no. Yeah. So don't come anywhere near me. Okay. Ollie, listen, one day you'll, you'll, you'll grow up and you'll get a paid job here at the BBC. This is how it's done. We've all started like this. We've all started tapping keyboards on the back, haven't we? The Ollie, excellent stuff, thank you. Priva, get on with your work. Start prepping the show that you've stolen, for goodness sakes. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Vernon-Smith, still off um, poorly, uh, which is a shame. Hopefully back next week. Uh, but David Priva has gallantly stepped in and offered to use his dirty computer uh, in more ways than one uh, to, to get you through. And he'll be on at nine o'clock. We'll find out in about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, what he's talking about. 08459 455 555 Eating at your desk. Do you do it? Do, do you try it? Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Shirley says, I refurbish keyboards and laptops. You won't believe the muck in them. Yuck. My boss microwaves a fish dinner where I work upstairs. Oh, it smells for ages. If you're at a desk now with a keyboard, do us a favour. Turn it upside down. Give it a tap, the three magic taps, and a little bit of a shake. See what comes out for us, please. Take a picture and send it to us. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. I want to see the detritus... BBC Three Counties, first for news. I want to see the detritus that falls out of your keyboard, if you would be so bold. BB, uh, Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Or you can give us a call and describe it. 08459 455 555. Hannah says, I can't believe people have the time to moan about this type of thing. There are much more serious things going on in the world than to moan about what people should eat at the computer. You're right, Hannah. There are more serious things. For example, Jacob, 15, is amazing Harry Styles double. This story about the footballer who kicked a ball boy. <clears throat> don't know anything about football, don't really care. But this was on Twitter last night, and of course I was furious, thinking, multi-millionaire Eden Hazard, or ha- Eden Hazard, you're in England, mate, we're going to call you Eden Hazard, This is in The Sun, page 7. Cops last night probed a sensational football clash when Chelsea star Eden Hazard kicked a ball boy in a cup semi-final match. Charlie Morgan, 17, blocked Hazard's path to the ball after it went out for a goal kick in the Chelsea uh, Chelsea v Swansea game. So basically, this multi-millionaire, he earns £170,000 a week. Uh, And this ball boy probably gets like 20 quid. Cash in hand and maybe some fags. Uh, the, the, the football player got sent off. Okay, And I read this on Twitter and thought, oh, this is disgusting. And I've seen the footage. 
actually, it's not that bad, right? The ball boy gets the ball and he falls on it. First of all, I didn't know they had ball boys in football. I thought that was tennis. The unsung heroes of Wimbledon set their sung every flipping year. So this ball boy falls on it and he lies on it. And the football player is just trying, he's just trying to do his job. He's just trying to get the ball back and carry on and warrant his £170,000. We should be looking up to this football. He's not, try- he's not deliberately kicking the ball boy. Anyway, you go on to read the story. Uh, and it says, police were present at the Capital One cap cl- uh, Cup clash. And last night, quiz millionaire's son, Charlie. Oh, hang on. So the ball boy's a millionaire's son. All right, OK. Over the incident, which happened in the 77th minute as Chelsea desperately tried to win the match. But no complaint was made. He didn't sustain any injuries. Charlie had tweeted his time-wasting intentions before the 77th minute incident, saying, The king of all ball boys is back making his final appearance. Hashtag time-wasting. Hazard said last night after the drama, the boy put his whole body onto the ball and I was just trying to kick it. I apologise. The ball boy came in the changing room uh, and we had a quick chat. I apologise and the boy apologised. I'm kind of... I, I know I shouldn't be. I'm kind of on the football player's side on this. He's just trying to do his job. He gets paid a lot of money, £170,000 a week, and he's trying to justify that. His team was struggling. He wanted to win this match. He had the winning spirit. This ball boy, Charlie Morgan, 17, a millionaire's son, had mentioned on Twitter that he was going to time waste and try and slow the game down and ruin the game. As soon as that tweet was seen, he should have been pulled off. Steady. Should have been taken off the pitch. and shouldn't have been allowed to play. Okay? And if you watch the footage, he jumps on the ball. You know when there's an idiot at school, right, who's not very good at football and he gets frustrated because everyone else is playing football and doing it really, really well. So the idiot jumps on it and holds it. And he's like, I'll give it... Oh, Steve, give us the ball. Steve, get off the ball. Ollie, go and kick, go and kick the ball from underneath him. You do, you do that, don't you? Or you have a pile on. This is what this lad is doing. I'm kind of on the foot. The footballer should have either had a pile on and they should have all jumped on him. All 22 men piling on. That would have been awesome. I think he did the right thing. He wasn't deliberately kicking him in the ribs. He wasn't kicking him in the face. He was trying to get the ball back in the way that you do in the school playground. I am totally, and it's very, very rarely I say this. I am totally on the side of the footballer on this and not the ball boy. It makes sense, doesn't it? You're right. You know I'm right. 08459 455 555. Who do you agree with on this? The footballer, who was trying to justify his huge salary and was trying to get the game going so that his team could win, or the ball boy, little so-and-so, who's got an undercut, long on top, short at the sides, who had said he was going to time waste when the opportunity arose. The opportunity arose, so he messed around like an idiot. 08459 455 555. Whose side are you on? I feel sorry for the footballer in all of this. Oh, no, we don't want that. We want a little bit of this. That's better. Bit of drama. The more I think about it, the more I'm on the side of this footballer. That kid was being an irritating little so-and-so who was trying to ruin the entertainment of millions of people and preventing that person doing their job. If someone lay on the desk here at BBC Three Counties Radio to stop me doing my job, I'd probably try and kick the desk out from underneath them. 
without a moment's hesitation. I want to do my job. Get out of the way. Jog on, son. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Right, so you come into your um, place of work, Catherine, yeah. where you, I know that you, you live just to give news to the, the residents of Beds, Hearts and Bucks. And say, for example, I don't know, political reporter Paul Scoynes <laughs> is lying across your desk preventing you doing your job. It what could would happen. You, what would you do? Um, yeah, I'd probably stick the boot in. <laughs> Sorry for this footballer. Tony Fisher, we, we spoke to earlier on. He lies across my desk. I would have to kick the desk out from underneath him. I would do it. He's preventing me doing my job. Nick Coffer. I would kick the desk out from under Nick Coffer. Anyway, lots coming up in the next hour of the show. Including, a decision is due today on plans for a small casino in Luton. A local church objects. They say casinos uh, uh, should be out of town. Do you think having more casinos will increase problems with gambling? An HIV charity in Hertfordshire faces closure within two months. The people who use it say they are devastated. We'll hear from them in the next hour. And just one in 20 parents can solve maths problems intended for children aged between 8 and 12. How good are you at maths? I'm, I'm good. I'm good at maths. I can do it. The adding, the um, subtracting, the, um, the other two. Well, our, our maths correspondent, Justin Dealey, is putting three counties' mums and dads to the test. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Will having more casinos increase problems with gambling? Four firms are in the running to build a small casino in Luton with a decision due to be reached later on today. Two bidders have applied to expand existing casinos, while two developers want to build new premises at Church Street and Kimpton Road. A local church is objecting to the plans for one of the sites. They've been involved in counselling some people with gambling addiction. Earlier on, I met Erwin Taddear from the Luton Central Baptist Church. He says casinos should be built out of town so people can't casually gamble. Based on our, our perspective on things, basically, we, we are looking at um, really affording people who are most at risk um, protection from themselves mm. at the end of the day. Um, making that less likely to... Uh, ma- making it more difficult is you know, one way of going towards that. We are pragmatic about this issue. You know, we are not you know, basically po-faced Puritans to say, you know, thou shalt not enjoy yourselves at all. Mm. No, we're saying, you know, enjoy yourself, do it responsibly, but make it also put enough safeguards around it to ensure that those who would be affected by this have that protection. Well, Dr. Mark Griffiths is a professor of gambling studies at Nottingham Trent University. Good morning, Doctor. Morning, Ian. How much impact will a small casino like this have on Luton? In all honesty, very little impact on problem gambling, and I was very interested just to hear your, the, the, the spokesperson there, because mm. the, the argument is almost null and void in the fact that if you've got access to the internet, a mobile phone, or interactive television, you have got access to thousands of casinos in your home. I mean, he was talking about making it harder for people to gamble. Anybody that has any kind of access to any form of electronic technology that's hooked up to the internet now can gamble, you know, basically 24-7, 365 days of the year. And one small casino in Luton, even though it may well be in a a populated area, is not going to significantly impact in terms of problem gambling across the community. And in fact, you know, offline casinos 
you know, now in terms of them getting licenses, they have to demonstrate what they're going to do in terms of player protection, harm minimization. And in fact, online, there's probably much less in terms of protecting players. So in fact, you know, the whole argument about making it harder, it, it, you know, it will actually be very hard for problem gamblers to, to gamble in casinos because of things like self-exclusion policies, because there's lots of signage and education and prevention messages there. Uh, but of course, we've just got a natural shift. I mean, we have become a nation of gamblers, and obviously ever since the introduction of the Gambling Act in September 2007, the one biggest change people will have noticed is the mass advertising on television now. And of course, that is stimulating a demand for gambling, but a lot of that is, is actually geared towards online gambling rather than, say, offline casino gambling. Earlier on, we spoke to uh, Steve Donoghue, who's a management consultant who specialises in the gambling industry. Uh, it's, it's been years since I've been to a casino, but he was saying that the staff there are trained to spot and um, uh, help problem gamblers. Is that true? How, how could they spot? How would they know if someone was struggling? Yeah, the, Steve's right. I mean, I've known Steve for many, many years. Um, and what, what happens now is that anybody who, who operates uh, and within the gambling arena usually gets training from organisations like the charity Gamcare. I mean, Gamcare just happens to be one of the charities that I co-founded back in the 1990s. They do offer training to all... Um, staff, you know, it, the, th the thing is, if you've got a gambler that is there all day, every day, mm. the, po the bottom line is they're probably using a lot of their disposable income, probably going beyond their disposable income. You can't naturally make assumptions that people necessarily have a problem. But, you know, there have been a number of studies done now looking at kind of, uh, if you like, soft signs for potential problem gamblers out there. But you're right, you can't just look at somebody and say they're a problem gambler. You ha Most of it is based on kind of longer-term observational People who work in casinos, they get to know their regulars. They get to know, you know, whether these people... I mean, one of the, the kind of soft signs of problem gambling that you can spot are people who constantly go to the cash point mm. machine on the floor. Most normal gamblers, they come in, and I'm one. I mean, people, even though I'm a professor of gambling, says I do gamble myself, but when I gamble, I'm buying entertainment. Okay, if I win, it's a bonus. One thing I never, ever do when I go and play a roulette in my local casino is that once I've lost the money I'm prepared to lose is walk to the cash point and get more money out. Mm. Problem gamblers, it's one of their absolutely typical behaviours that once they've exhausted the funds they came in with will continually go to the cash point. Now, that would be a behavioural indicator. It doesn't necessarily say you are definitely a problem gambler, but it is one of the, the signs that somebody might have a problem if they're constantly going to, to the cash point. It, and it, but again, actually, it's actually easier to spot problem gamblers online than it is offline because, of course, online operators can see every single click that the person is doing on their website. They know exactly how long they're there, what they've played, how much money they've spent, etc. Uh, but it is actually harder offline. But all of these staff, they are trained about problem gambling. I mean, the good news is, is that the vast majority of people who gamble don't have problems, but we do know that gambling, just like alcohol and, yeah. and, and other consumptive activities, it is a problem for a small minority. And I've spent 26 years studying problem gambling, and, you know, it's not that I in any way putting this issue to one side. It is a real mm. big issue in the country. And in the last four years, we've seen a 50% increase in problem gambling in this country based between the 2007 and the 2011 surveys that, that we've done. So we know that it's something we do need to keep a handle on. But the good news is, is even at now, even though there's been a 50% increase, it's still below 1% of the adult population. But as I say, Steve Donahue was right when he said that Gambling staff are trained about problem gambling to spot problem gamblers, but I would argue it's not the gambling industry's uh, responsibility to, if you like, to treat problem gamblers. No. It's their job to refer on to those agencies that, that can help. 
Uh, and, and you're right, and it's the same. The majority of people who drink alcohol are, you know, are responsible drinkers, and it's a tiny minority that become addicted, and, you know, that, and it's, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, what help is there for people who, who think that they may have or someone in their family might have a gambling problem? Well, the first thing I would say is that Gamcare, who are the, the national charity, they run a national uh, helpline here. If you get in touch with their, with their um, number, you can Google it, um, and it will come up straight away as the, the, the top one there. You can ring the national helpline. They will can put you in touch with people in the local area, local specialists, break-even groups. There are over 200 groups of Gamblers Anonymous up and down the country. Uh, you can get referrals through your GP to clinical psychologists. There is help out there for people who, who have a gambling problem uh, and there's usually something within the local community um, as well but there are say there are if you type in gambling therapy online there's a, a, a national online um, kind of online ca- uh, advice and counseling service online I say Gamcare is out there we've got Gamblers Anonymous there are some NHS trusts so for instance in in London the Soho Trust have a, a walk-in clinic there for problem gamblers as well. And also I'd imagine you, you could go and speak to your GP about it as well as it is an addiction. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm somebody, I actually wrote uh, the, the British Medical Association's policy on this in 2007, and I've, obviously one of the things I've been trying to do is highlight it as an issue amongst GPs. A lot of GPs don't see it as a health issue, right. but obviously when you do get into trouble with your gambling, things like depression, anxiety, lots of kind of psychosomatic symptoms caused by stress from the, the worry about the fact you're in big financial trouble, these are all things that GPs should take take note of and they can refer people to clinical psychologists as a result you know if you go to a gp and say i've got a gambling problem they can do something about that not the gp themselves but the gps in a position to refer on to to experts that can help okay that's great we have to end it there dr mark griffiths thank you very much indeed professor of gambling studies at nottingham trent university the bbc in beds hearts and bucks this is bbc three counties radio so this footballer you may have seen it on the news last night on the the match the footballer uh, uh, Eden Hazard, come on, let's, let's, he, he's over here now, we're going to call him that. Um, they got sent off in a game last night because he kicked a ball boy. He was just, the ball boy was being an idiot. This guy, just, this, this footballer wanted to, to earn his money, he wanted to play for his team, wanted to continue the entertainment of millions. This ball boy was a troublemaker. Matt's in Luton, morning Matt. Ian, you're the troublemaker. Why is that? You haven't got a clue about football. Go on, tell me what I've got the, wrong. The idea, the idea of a ball boy. Yeah. When the when the ball goes off the park, yeah. the player should not go near the ball boy. Ed. For a start, it should not be done. And he didn't kick the ball; he kicked him in the ribs. Did you watch the game? I've seen I've seen the clip this morning several times. Well, I've seen it umpteen times. Okay. Right. It's, it's a disgrace. It's exactly the same. Supposing that ball boy yeah. was your son and you were it. In the sand. What would you have done, Ian? I would have, t- I would have taken my son home. No, and, no, no Matt, Matt. I would have kicked. No, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have kicked the footballer. I would have taken well, my son home. You've it, asked me a question, Matt. I'll answer it. Matt, Matt, you've asked me a question. Do you want me to answer it? Yeah. Okay. You asked what I'd do if that boy was my son. I'd have taken him home. I'd have given him a right royal rollicking for tweeting he was going to waste time during that match, for diving on the ball and wasting time in that match, and I would have forbidden him for ever being a ball boy ever again. That's what I would have done. Sorry. He kicked him in the ribs. Matt, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. The, the, the guy tweeted that he was going to waste time during the match. 
Did you see this, David Prever? I don't. Uh, well, what game was this? Was this tennis? Football. It was a football game. Somebody kicked a, t- a tennis player when they were on the ground. No, listen. No. You've, you've, what you've done is you've confused issues even more <laughs> than they need to be confused. Oh yeah. eight four five nine four double five five double five. Come on, Matt in Luton. There was talking a load of old guff. This boy was a troublemaker and deserved it. Look at us geeky old men talking about trains here. Talking, we, were. we are actually getting excited about trains. No, I love a train. Me, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a massive fan, but my boy is three. He loves Thomas. Of course they do. So you're kind of you, and he's got a train track, and you kind of get into a little bit. Now exactly. don't put the train track there. Do it like this. This exactly. is more uh, more yeah, imaginative, yeah. and so you get sucked in as a dad. You got it wrong on this footballer, by the way. Sorry, you got it wrong on the footballer. Well, I don't think so. Six. You can't just kick boys when they're on the ground. Whatever they're doing, it's for the um, umpires to sort out. Is it? What are they? Umpires, oh, referees, oh, whatever sense. they are. He wasn't. He didn't kick the boy. He was. He, he, he was, kicked the boy. He was trying to get the ball back. The boy was a trouble by kicking a boy in the stomach. By a young lad. A young poor boy who's trying to earn money. Poor by boy. His, poor his boy. dad's a millionaire. Ah, He's only five years younger than the footballer. So come on. So that's okay. You I'm five kick years him younger in the head, than you. You, you. you could kick me if you wanted. <laughs> if I kicked you, you wouldn't be happy. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no. I wouldn't be lying on your balls. That's, well, yes, there we are. Uh, today on the big phone in after 9am, does it have to be so expensive to have children? Oh, have you seen these figures today? No, I've not, but yes, it is expensive. £222,500 by the age they reach 21 per child. Yeah, 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 no, thank you. Yeah, you need a big TV gig right now. Wowzers. Uh, apparently, this is it's all to do with uh, bills and childcare, sending kids to nursery, the gadgets they require, peer group pressure. I don't know if it has to be this way. Can you cut corners, bring up uh, children on the cheap? And what financial sacrifices have you made to pay for your children's upbringing? I'd like to hear from your stories. Uh, your stories after 9 a.m. on 08459 455 555. Does it have to be so expensive to have children? You've really depressed me. It's so depressing. Don't. What, what future have we got? We don't have any men. future. That's why I'm doing 19 shows a day on oh, uh, anywhere that will have me, frankly. <laughs> anywhere that will have me <laughs> FM. Yes, we've all been there. That's uh, David Lovey, thank you very much. David Priva filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. If you want to get in touch, 08459 455 555. You can send an email as well. jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Um, and just putting your contact details and your phone number and bits and pieces, and they might get back in touch with you. On FM, AM, and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. BBC Three Counties Radio, the first for news. Three months ago, lollipop ladies in Hertfordshire told this programme they were being verbally abused and harassed by drivers. Some motorists were even failing to stop. So the County Council started a campaign to raise awareness of the important role school crossing patrols play in keeping children safe. Well, our safety correspondent, uh, Justin Dealey, is at the Orchard Primary School in Watford. Good morning, Justin. Whereabouts are you exactly and what's happening? Yes, hello, Ian. Very cold again this morning. Still lots of snow here in Watford. I'm with Bernie Newland. Bernie has been a lollipop lady here at this school for 21 years. Now, three months ago, we were here talking to Bernie about this campaign that that hopefully would improve things for her. Bernie, welcome back to the programme. For those that that missed our interview three months ago, just describe the sort of abuse that you receive here. Mm. Well, it ranges from revving cars, as you've said before, to people just going straight through when I'm either in the middle of the road or trying to cross the children to sometimes verbal and not physical, not me um, but they do finger gestures etc coming out of the car if they think we're holding them up too long it's just hard to believe. I mean, for, for those that haven't seen our radio car before, it's um, quite a presence. It's, um, it's a normal car with uh, a 30-foot aerial that comes out of the roof. Everyone was looking the day that we were here. The day we were here three months ago, you had no problems because of this BBC radio car. Exactly, yeah. They were all 
really good out there they slowed right down they looked they stopped you know they smiled they waved give it a couple of weeks after and things had seemed to have slowed down and they went back to their normal ways of ignoring if they don't have to have eye contact as far as they're concerned they don't have to stop so what you're saying is this campaign to improve the abuse it did for about two weeks it worked and then it's failed again yeah it's it's gone back to normal um the majority of drivers that come down here know me have done for years they were probably children going to school now they're taking their own so they've known me for a long time and they're very wary of me being there aware of me being there and you know they're good but it's the odd one or two that don't come down here don't realize there's a crossing patrol and they're um the ones that are a little bit silly out there What would you say to anybody who's listening to this who thinks it is acceptable to verbally abuse you and not stop for you, and not just yourself, but but other crossing patrols across beds, hearts and bucks who clearly have no respect for you? What's your message to them? Well, think if it was you. Think if it was you trying to cross your child to get them to school safely. There was somebody there trying to help them, doing their job. And you were just running through. Would you like it if somebody else just went through and refused to stop? You wouldn't be very happy. So please, just give us a little bit of courtesy, respect. And we are trying to do a very difficult job out there. And I know there are some patrols out there that have got it far more difficult than I have because all patrols, all sites are different. None of us are exactly the same. So what I consider is easy for me would be very difficult for somebody else so please just a little bit of courtesy okay and just lastly we know that you don't get paid a lot of money to do this job and you are being abused week by week year by year been doing this now for for 21 years why would you want to do this job bernie because i'm mad (laughs) because i love the children it was something i started doing just as a favor to the old head at school Um, And as far as I know, he's still actively looking for somebody to take over, which obviously hasn't come forward. But I enjoy doing it. I love doing it. I love seeing the children across the road. And, you know, the odd finger or shout out of the car, you know, it's par for the course. You like a duck in water. You just let it ride off unless, of course, it becomes too bad. And then you have to do something. And just a message that they will be prosecuted if it continues and if it carries on in that way. Can I just interrupt, Justin? Of course you can. I think it's disgusting, like, someone someone like Bernie, who's doing a great job for the yep. kids. I, we, everyone, we all love the lollipop lady, but the, Bernie shouldn't have to get shouted at. Bernie shouldn't have to take the odd finger. It's just, it seems horrible that she's putting up with that. Well, do you know what, Ian? You know, I mentioned this before. In the 1990s, my mother was a lollipop lady, and this is nothing new to me, so I can talk from experience here. People never stop for my mum. Uh, they used to swear at my mum again. They, they used to stick up gestures, fingers. It was absolutely horrible and when that's your own mother as well it yep. really makes you upset so this problem has always been around and as bernie says there she doesn't get paid a lot of money for this she's doing this because she loves the kids here she wants to help them she wants to feel part of that community she doesn't deserve that abuse and these campaigns as bernie says they do work but for about two weeks and then things go back to normal do me a favor justin mm. give her a hug I'm going to give her a big hug right now. Give her come a here, hug. come oh, here, Bernie. I'll tell you yeah. what, Ian. That's she looks very, very sexy in that outfit. Thank you very much. Yeah. Keep up the good work, Bernie, and you too, Justin. Thank you very much for that. Well, joining me now is Councillor Phil Bibby, Deputy Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at the County Council. Uh, Phil, how do you think this campaign went? Oh, we think it went went pretty well. 
I mean, the idea of the campaign is to make drivers aware that it is an offence to fail to stop at a school crossing, which could end up with a £1,000 fine with three points on the licence. I mean, in the last year before the last year's campaign in Hertfordshire, five drivers were successfully prosecuted. Um, there's also the problem, of course, of harassing and abuse, both verbal and physical, as Bernie reported. I mean, the results of this campaign were pretty positive, and more positive in previous years, actually. Firstly, our lollipop ladies and gentlemen feel more valued as a result of the campaign, and that does make a difference. Um, our 2012 campaign reached even more of the public as a result of uh, an advert run on the radio in conjunction with a digital campaign for the first time uh, on top of the patrols wearing special tabards. Bernie says it's still happening though, Phil. She's, she's still get, having to take the old finger and getting, getting sworn at. Yes, we understand that and that's why we have this campaign every year. Um, so, so it's okay like. for a month, and then, and, but the other, uh, you know, where it stops for a month, but then for the rest of the 11 months of the year, they have to put up with it. Yeah, that's why we're trying to increase the profile of this campaign, and if incidents are reported to us, we do actually prosecute drivers, and that's the only way we can actually stop this. How many prosecutions uh, have you made in the last, I don't know, three months? In the three months, I don't know, but in the 12 months prior to the campaign, it was five in Hertfordshire. Right. Uh, so that was prior to the campaign. Yeah. Did, have you got any figures for during the campaign, or...? No, I have not, no. OK. Would you be able to get those for us? I could do, yeah. OK, that'll be interesting, because... Uh, do, are you going to wait now till next year, and, and, or till the next campaign in October, or...? It's, uh, I, just think, I just do genuinely think it's terrible, Phil, that, that someone like, like um, Bernie doesn't get paid much money. She does it because she loves the kids, wants to help the community. She shouldn't be getting abuse. You're quite right. Um, and that's why... If Bernie and her colleagues actually reported incidents to us, we do actually follow them up. So if she got the number plate of, of a car that had, um, that had been vulgar to her, you would, you would prosecute? Absolutely, we will. OK, brilliant. Phil, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. Eating at work. Apparently it's disgusting. Um, you shouldn't be eating at work, work is disgusting. I work thir- a 39-hour week. It's very rare I get an hour's break each day. Even then, I eat on the go. I work in a warehouse, says Anonymous. Uh, put your names on, otherwise it, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to read the ones without names from now on. I have just decided, OK? If you're sending a text, put your name on, otherwise... I'll, I'll read these ones, but then that's it. If you don't put your name on, it won't get uh, read out on the radio. I eat at my desk about four times a week due to being so busy. However, each morning I clean any workstation I use with my antibacteria wipes. That includes keyboard, mouse, work surface, with well, mouse mat, telephone, monitor, and then wash my hands with anti-wipe solution. Uh, Jackie in Chesham says, When I worked for a bank a good few years ago, we used to have a lady come in once a week and clean all our computer screens and keyboards with wipes and brushes. You don't get that anymore. We used to have a lady, when I worked at another radio station, who would come in every week and water the plants and clean the plants. Yeah, when they got in financial trouble, she got the sack pretty sharpish. Um, I've just turned and tapped my keyboard three times onto my desk, dropped a staple, crumbs and curly hair. There's always curly hair in keyboards! I'm a teacher and spend my lunchtime marking books and don't want to mess up my desk, so I eat my sandwich at a child's? Oh, no, no. Uh, listen, from now on, if you don't put your name on your text, I'm not going to read them out. Simple as. Uh, very quickly, on this ball boy. Ian, I agree with you being on the side of the footballer. I don't even like football. The kid was being an idiot, and after seeing the look on his face, he's lucky he only got kicked in the side, apparently, and not in the face. Thanks, Lauren and Hearts. Liz says, Ian, I, football, I agree with you, the ball boy was out of order. But what made me laugh was the football style rolling on the floor after he had given up the ball. 
and Nick in Swanbourne says, Hazard had only had eyes only for the ball, not the ball boy. Time wasting is a dirty tactic in football, but unfortunately, all teams do it. Well, it wasn't even a team that was doing it in this instance, Nick. It was the ball boy. Things really got as bad as that. On FM, AM, and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Dear listener, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. Am I the only person that's got sympathy for that, uh, for the footballer, not the ball boy? A couple of you have texted in and have agreed with me. He was just trying to do his job, and that 17-year-old millionaire's son was wasting time. He was setting a bad example. The footballer just wanted to carry on playing football. That's all. 08459 455 555. Now... We, uh, a charity which supports people living with HIV in Hertfordshire faces closure within two months after having its funding cut. The Crescent in St Albans was receiving £200,000 a year from Hertfordshire County Council and Hertfordshire NHS Trust. But people are now being asked to travel to Watford and use the services of another support service, HeartsAid. For the last two years, the Crescent has been surviving on volunteers using their own money. One of those is Ian Murter, who I met earlier. He's donated over £10,000 of his own cash. I was uh, left a small amount of money by my uh, paternal grandmother, um, who I'd been discussing this whole situation with for some time yeah. um, earlier uh, in the last couple of years, uh, which has helped me with that. You sold your car as well, you And saying? I sold my car at Christmas, yes, to, to see me through a little bit longer. So you're dedicated to this. But how much longer can you go on surviving on donations and, and you know, from your own pocket? Unless we have something significant in. I mean, we've got a lot of people promising things, and some people have been incredibly generous and continue to be. But unless something radically changes, then we've probably got a couple of months. Really? Well, that was earlier on in the show. Rachel Dilly is one of the people who uses the Crescent. She joins me now. Morning, Rachel. Good morning. Now, um, oh, I've got a frog in my throat. Let me... I'm <laughs> Let's, let's clear this out. <clears throat> there we go. We're sorted. Now, uh, you've got HIV. When did you find out that you had the HIV virus? Uh, 2005. And what was that like to find that out? And how, how, what happened? Were you in the hospital and the doctor said, oh, I've got some bad news for you? Or, or I was very poorly at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, well, too many symptoms to describe, really, but um, eventually ended up at the GU clinic. Um, they tested me and told me that I was positive, and it was a great shock to the system. Mm. Um, <clears throat> not long after, went to the Crescent, where I've got my support from. When the, just going back to when you got told that you, you, you had the HIV virus, what was going through your head when they said that? I'm going to die. Yeah. Straight away, that was it, I'm going to die. I said to them, how long have I got? As if you've been told you've got cancer, how long have I got? Yeah. And they were quite reassuring, you know, it's okay, you'll be fine, mm. you know. How did you get in touch with the Crescent? What, what, what made you go there? Um, someone gave me, I can't remember, it was a long time ago, but someone gave me some leaflets and the Crescent was on there and I went along and spoke to someone straight away and I just felt at ease straight away. She just made me feel, you mm. know, it's not that bad, you know, and you can you can live with it. Was the Crescent the first kind of support group or, or, or place that you went to to discuss yeah. this? Yeah, So that must have, been, must have been weird, going there for the first time. Can you describe what that was like? Um, it wasn't really weird right. because I just felt... I spoke to someone on the phone, so it just felt as if I was going to visit someone that I knew. Mm. And I went and had a long chat with the woman there and um, just felt at ease straight away and started going for massage, acupuncture. Oh, hello. Hang on. Um, <laughs> and then I had to get on medication, which terrified me. Yeah. And it was really through talking to people there that gave me the strength and the courage to actually start my medication. Otherwise... I may not be here now. So they've supported you yeah. in, in, in loads of ways. They've given you the encouragement uh, to take your medicine. 
bit of massage and acupuncture. Mm. Doesn't sound bad, does it? Well, you, you know, you get a lot of problems with, um, not everybody's healthy when they're living with HIV. You can get uh, side effects from the medication. Mm. Your feet go numb, your legs can go numb, wow. you know. Um, tingling in your hands and feet and stuff. Um, and the massage does help. Right. Um, even like stress, you know, if you get too stressed, it makes you feel unwell. Mm. Um, and that has an effect on your immune system. It's looking like the, the Crescent is going to have to close in a couple of months. They're running out of money. How will that affect your life? It's not just my life, it's other people as well. You know, there's, I'm not as bad off as some people. You know, some people, it's the only place they can go, that there is nowhere else, you know, and they have nobody else. Um, my family know about me, my friends know about me, um, but some people cannot talk to anybody else. And we're not just a social gathering, you know, there's testing there, there's going to outreach, you know, there, there's so much. It's not just a, a you know, a social get-together place. Mm. It's, it's such a big, uh, um, you know, great big, vast you know, expansion of things, not just one thing. You've said there's nowhere else to go, but of course there is Heart's Aid, isn't there? Have you tried the Heart's Aid um, service? Has anyone tried to get there? <laughs> is that um, one of the problems? The thi- well, the thing is, I mean, for me personally, um, I have panic attacks and anxiety, and someone said it's out in the middle of where. I don't know where that is. You've got a phone to make an appointment. If you can get an appointment, um, you share the building with drugs and alcohol, you know, I don't particularly want to go somewhere where there's people that could be on drugs or drinking. I'm not being nasty, but um, I want to go somewhere where I feel safe Mm. and comfortable, which I do at the Crescent. And I don't see why we should have to lose it, because the money we had has all been given to Heart's Aid. Why can't we have the money back that we had before? Mm. They do such a great job. You know, I can't express enough that not just for me, but for other people, you know, disabled people, old people, carers, the, the stuff they do is... You, you couldn't even explain it in a day. What do you want to see done? Well, ideally, we would like the council to give back the money that they were giving us before. Mm. If not, anyone that can donate anything at all, no matter how small, you know, it, it might not affect their life now, but at some point, someone's life ca- could be affected by it, and they may need the crescent. And how are, th- how are you feeling today? How, how are things today for you with, with your medication and everything that's um, going I'm on? I'm feeling well, but um, obviously I'm worried. Um, and I've seen it on other people as well. In fact, I had a get-together at mine on Tuesday and I could see that since Christmas when I met the people, some of them don't look as... They just don't look as well as they yeah. did. And it's stress. It's, you know, it's the worry. Well, listen, you t- were telling me you got up very, very early to come in this morning and you've not had your toast yet. That's right. You've earned <laughs> your slice of toast, Rachel. Thank you very much Thank for coming you. in. See, that was a piece of cake, wasn't it? It's easy peasy. Rachel Dilly, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we contacted Hearts County Council. They declined to take part, but said a decision was taken by the County Council that the best way to provide a more uniform and more cost-effective service was to move toward a single county-wide provider for that service. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. Look... Hazard, Eden Hazard, kicks a ball boy during a match. I say there was outrage on Twitter and everywhere. Outrage. I say, shame on the lad. The lad's a 17-year-old troublemaker. He tweeted he was going to cause trouble during this match. If you watch the clip, right, and watch it properly, he's not kicking the boy deliberately. He's trying to get to the ball. If you wanted to kick the boy deliberately, the legs are exposed, the header is exposed. He's not kicking him deliberately. He's trying to get the ball. Roger, am I speaking sense or what? Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with Thank you. Goodness uh, I for think, that. 
I've, I've watched the, the clip a few times, and I've seen that uh, uh, what I think Hazard's done is he can actually see the ball, and he's just trying to poke it through to get the game back on again. Yes. Um, and totally agree. I mean, there's, there's a lot of this goes on, and, and people not even... I mean, the players can time waste at times, which is frustrating, but when ball boys or mascots and all this thing start to... Uh, time waste. It's frustrating. People have paid good money to go and watch a game of football when they don't want to see that. He's All he's doing, he's doing that thing that I remember at school when the idiot, sometimes it was me, would lie on the ball and, in fact, I remember actually being a spin-off game that you would play where someone would lie on the ball and you would try and kick it out from underneath them. That's all yeah. he's doing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, he's not, he's not going to, he doesn't want to injure a ball boy, does he? He just wants to get the ball back. Absolutely. What do the mascots, I don't know a lot about football, Roger, you may have picked up, what do the mascots do to cause trouble? The mascots do the same sort of thing at times. It depends on what ground you go to, but some of them will, will get the ball and waste time, or they'll, you know, they'll try and wind the fans up or whatever. And um, I just think, you know, you, you go to football, you pay a lot of money to watch a match, and it, it's not, you know, you appreciate other teams and other good players, but but not those ones that frustrate you and wind you up and time waste. Roger, thank you very much indeed. You see. If you think about it, if you've seen the clip and if you've seen it properly, I know you hear it. For, oh, footballer kicks ball boy. Multi-millionaire footballer kicks a poor ball boy. Okay, when you put it into context, actually, this lad's a, his dad's a millionaire as well. Okay, and there's only five years difference in the age. Suddenly, it's not you know, it's not like a grown thirty-year-old man hitting a twelve-year-old. And if you watch the clip, he's not kicking the ball boy deliberately. He's trying to get the ball, and this Charlie Morgan is being a plum. He's lying on the ball and deliberately. Preventing the game from continuing. Now, I, I don't really have very much interest in football at all, but I do feel sorry for this footballer. All he was trying to do, he earns £170,000 a week, okay? He's just trying to justify that money. He's just trying to win the game. He's trying to succeed. We should be looking up to this footballer. We should be pointing him out to our kids and going, that's what you should be aiming for. You want to carry on, even if there are, the things are against you. You want to justify your place. You want to play as hard as you can. He shouldn't have been sent off. I hope this Charlie Morgan lad is banned from ever going to a football stadium ever again. He doesn't deserve it. 08459. 455555 is the telephone number. You know it makes sense. Um, Babs and Stephen, he says, the boy boy, the ball boy has achieved his aim. 15 minutes of fame, job done. Elizabeth says, have you watched the slow motion replay of the ball boy being kicked? It is so obviously a deliberate kick in his side. I hope the boy sues him. It is clearly straightforward assault. Yes, Elizabeth, I have seen it. And you're wrong. Watch it again. Watch it again from as many different angles as you can. Because no, it's not assault. He's trying to get the ball so we continue the football match. That's it. That's all he's doing. Nothing wrong at all. Everyone jumps to conclusions about this. 08459 455 555. Let's have a quick look at the front pages, uh, shall we? If I can get my newspapers off of the record player, which has just started to spin around. Thanks very much, old technology. Jeez, where were you when I needed you? The Daily Telegraph. Merkel hints at deal for Cameron. Angela Merkel. It's Angela, come on has said she is prepared to consider renegotiating Britain's membership of the EU. Yeah. A little bit bored already of this. I know it's it's important. We've got another four years of this to talk about. So we've got, hang on. So let me get this right. We've got the Scottish referendum and we've got this. Man, the next few years are going to be D-U-double-L dull. Aren't they? Wow. Boring campaigns. 
Uh, Harry flies in trying to calm controversy. Prince Harry did his best to dampen down the controversy over his remarks about killing Taliban as he returned to Britain yesterday, saying only that he had done things you would expect a soldier to do. He shouldn't have said he killed people. Of course he shouldn't have said that. We, listen, we all know that's what sh- uh, soldiers do. Of course, all right? But if you ask a soldier, have you killed people? A good one will go, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't think it's, inappro- I, I don't think it's appropriate to discuss that. A good one. The, le- the, the kind of laddish ones go, yeah, yeah, I shot a few of them. Yes, taking a few down. A good soldier, no, uh, I, I don't think it's appropriate to discuss that. I've, I've just done what's necessary. That's the correct answer to that question, isn't it? Uh, the Guardian. Let's talk, says Merkel, as Cameron gambles on EU. And uh, there's a picture of that lad who got kicked by the football player. <sighs> really? Grow up. We'll look at some more of those in a bit. Talking about this football uh, incident last night, Chelsea player Eden Hazard has apologised for kicking ball boy Charlie Morgan during their cup tie against Swansea. Chelsea needed to score twice when the ball went out of play. The 17-year-old ball boy went to retrieve it. Did he fall on it or did he jump on it? Well, he'd already said on Twitter that he was going to time waste. So he smothered the ball with his body, holding up the game. Hazard was then trying to get at the ball underneath, and he kicks the ball, and may have kicked the boy. Joining me now is former Watford player and current summariser. Wow, I didn't even know that was a thing here at Three Counties. Derek Payne. Morning, Derek. Morning, Ian. What do you make of this incident? Well, it's uh, unbelievable to start with. Uh, Doesn't happen often, does it? And uh, it was a very bizarre incident. I mean, the the lad should have really, if he's been on tweeting that he's going to time waste and obviously there was a motive to do what he done so it's not very weren't good by him but then again Eden Hazard shouldn't have really got involved but Hazard the way I listen I'm not a particularly big football fan but I remember this kind of thing happening at school when there was some idiot that would jump on the ball and give us the ball back no and he'd be lying on it and you'd just try and punt it out when you just try and get it out that's all that Hazard's doing isn't it he's just he's just trying he's not deliberately kicking the boy no, you know, he, you could see that there was no intent on trying to hurt the ball, uh, the boy, sorry. He, he was just trying to get the ball back, uh, but he really shouldn't have got involved. That's where the referee, yeah. who's meant to be watching the game continuously, even when the ball's off play, should have got involved. And uh, But Eden Hazard shouldn't have got, shouldn't have got involved. He's, he's a young lad, you know, he's time-wasting, but it's not in your hands to yeah. take responsibility to go and get the ball. As a former uh, player, Derek, how, how annoying is it time-wasting in a football game when you just want to get on and score some goals and the other team or the ball boy is being an idiot yeah but it's part and parcel of the game you know you'll be in games yeah it's part and parcel of the game goalkeepers do it all the time you'll be one nil up and the goalkeeper take a long time to go and get it players go down feigning injuries so it is part and parcel of the game and as a professional footballer you've got to get used to that side of the game like you've got to get used to everything in the game what will happen to Hazard now will he get told off will he get punished yeah, I, I'm sure the uh, powers to be at uh, Chelsea and make it clear to him that, you know, that's not the behaviour they expect. Uh, obviously, they understand why he was doing it, because you want to get to Wembley, but, you know, that's just going over the line. He, he stepped over the line. You can't, you know, he's a young lad. You can't get involved and try and get a ball for a young lad. And this, this, this troublemaker, Charlie Morgan, I'm guessing that's his ball boy career over now, is it? No, well, I don't know. They might, they, you know, there's... They're going to be a little bit biased towards him. You know, he, he wants Swansea to go to Wembley. He's a young lad. They're, I don't know if it will be. They might, you know, they obviously talk to him and obviously let him know that... Hang on a minute. I didn't, hang on a minute, Derek. Charlie Morgan is a Swansea supporter? Well, I would imagine he is. Off with his head! 
Off with his head, Derek! <laughs> Get rid of him! <laughs> Little so-and-so! <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, he'll be hoping you ain't in charge of that decision. Well, we'll sure. see. Derek, listen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Derek Payne there. J- Justin Dealey's on the line. Justin? Yes, you're, you? you're a big football fan. I am indeed. What's your take on this? Um, well, I haven't seen it. That's the first thing. OK, um, OK. I think once I've seen it, I'll have um, my own view. But ball boys, traditionally over, uh, over the years, if they are from that club and their team is, is trying to hang on, if you like, they would certainly keep hold of that ball for as long as they possibly could. Really? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, Cheating goodness. goes on in football, you know. I it know does. it does, but I, I expect it from the players. But from the, but this lad, he lies on the ball. The ball is yeah. under his tummy. You know, like the idiot kid at school would do it when yep. you wouldn't let him play football, so he'd snatch the ball and lie on it. This is what he's done. That's uh, that, that's mm, unacceptable, I mean, isn't regardless it? Regardless of what he's done, he can't go around kicking young children, can he's, he? He's 17! <laughs> he's a man! He could go to Afghanistan <laughs> and kill the Taliban! He's not a man until he's 18. Another year to go for him. Another All right, year. well, listen, Justin, we, we've not got you on to talk about this. We're here to talk about a, a, a map problem that we've got. A square... Oh, here we go. Let's, let's see if we can do this. A square has an area of 64 square metres. What is the length of each side? Is it 4 metres, 8 metres, 12 metres, or 16 metres? Let me work Let me work this out. Yeah, go on. Um, it would be... Uh, it would be uh, 8 metres. All right, OK. Am I right? <laughs> I think so. I suppose so. <laughs> well, it's reported that just one in 20 parents... I think it is eight metres. reported that just one in 20 parents is able to solve problems intended... And I wasn't even using my calculator watch no, then. No, you weren't, no. It, <laughs> I wasn't! No. No, I believe you. I Shut like, up, egg sandwich. Yeah. Now, <laughs> one in 20 parents is able to solve problems intended for children aged between 8 and 12. And nearly two-thirds of parents are reluctant to help with maths homework for fear of confusing the children. Oh, there we go. Look, the answer's here. The square is eight metres long because it's eight uh, times eight is 64. You are good. You are good. <sighs> so where are you, Justin? What have you been doing? I'm live this morning in Watford. I'm at the Orchard Primary School. We've got some audio to come from parents in just a second. But we are putting people to the test. Joining me live here in our radio car is Paul Sutton. He's the head teacher and a parent of two young children. Paul is always up for a laugh. Paul, are you ready for your random maths question? Uh, yes. Okay, here we go then. Uh, a house is sold for £400,000. The estate agent is paid 3% of the £400,000. Oh, don't you laugh at me. Uh, how much does the estate agent got it. receive? I've got it. Ian's got it. I've got it. Studio. That calculator's working. No, it's my head! <laughs> come on, come on, Paul. You're the head Come teacher. on, come on, come on Paul. Come on. Come on, Paul. Is this the head teacher? It's the head teacher. I need, I need Come on, pay. okay, here we go. Okay, let's do it again. A house is sold for £400,000. The estate agent is paid 3% of the £400,000. How much does the estate agent receive? I'll give you some options, okay? £12,000, £24,000, £36,000, or £48,000. Come on, Paul. It would be... Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> it's broken Britain. 1,200. Uh, yeah, it would no, be... No, uh, no, no, it's not 1,200. No, 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 yeah, you're right. It would be 12,000. 12,000, yeah. Yes, you said 1,200. Oh, sorry, 12,000. Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, you, you got it at the end. Do yeah. you feel good now? I do, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. That's right. <laughs> I can see. I can see why we're in such an economical crisis. He's a head teacher, <laughs> Justin. Paul Sutton, the head teacher of the Orchard Prime. You did He's put him on the spot. You did, did put him on the spot. Well done, him so, for having a go. So, so th- there you go. There you heard from Paul. I've also been speaking to parents and testing them, and this is what happens. Let's have a listen. Now, Julie, you have requested something easy. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here we go then. Uh, what's two hundred and fifty times eight? What's 250 times 8? I'll even give you options. 1,500, 2,000, 2,500 or 3,000? 2,000. Congratulations. (laughs) You feel relieved now, don't you? Yeah, I do. (laughs) 
<laughs> what were you like at school with your maths? Were you any good? Rubbish. Where's John? John, before your question, what were you like at maths when you was at school? Not great. Yeah? Not no. good at all? Not at all. Right, well, I'm hoping for the best on this question okay. for you. It's quite a long one. In Moscow, yeah. the temperature at midday is 8 degrees Celsius. Right. At midnight, it's minus 3. Mm. By how much has that temperature changed? Uh, 11 degrees. Yes! We got there. How does that feel? Fine, thank you. You passed. <laughs> right, well, here's Lisa. Lisa, here is your question. You ready for this? Just about. Now, if you can't answer it, your son's here to back you up. Excellent. I might need that. <laughs> it's old. Uh, what is the mean value of these numbers? 26, 10, 24. What is the mean value of these numbers? 26, 10, 24. <laughs> If this was TV, we could see your face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, two? No. <laughs> who's this? Your son here? What's his yeah. name? Cameron. Cameron. How are you, Cameron? I'm fine. Do you know the answer? Um, I don't even know what mean value means. <laughs> I'm going to give you the answer. You've learned something new today. The answer is 15. Oh. Is it? It is, yeah. So what does mean value mean? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Oh, daily! <laughs> what does mean value mean? Uh, apparently it's the average. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is the average. Uh, well I think done. I got a D in my GCSE at maths because um, I was more interested in other things. Maths has never been my strong point, as you've noticed this morning. What is? What exactly is your strong point, Josh? I've yet to work um, to, to fathom that one out. We'll, we'll come to that in the future. It's, it's very interesting, that, that, and, and a, a novelty, that it's you that's going around educating the mums and dads <laughs> of beds, hearts and bucks. This doesn't feel right. It feels wrong. I hate maths. I, I, I think that once you've got the basic maths, adding up and subtracting and dividing and stuff like that, that you shouldn't have to study maths. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going to go into your local supermarket, yep. you're hardly going to be going, oh, I'll get those peas, I'll get that macaroni cheese. Oh, what's the mean value of what I'm <laughs> buying here? It doesn't work like and, that. Uh, well, how often do you use maths in your career? If you know you're going to do a, do a career that doesn't involve maths, why are you studying yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, some people take it very seriously. I mean, if you're going to be an accountant, clearly you need those skills. But if you're going to do uh, other jobs, you don't need maths as, as much as some, clearly. Justin Dealey, come home. I will. And I'll give you a big hug. Oh, I can't wait. There it's full, full of hugs today. Thank you very much, Justin Daly. Excellent stuff, as always. Phew. We made it to the end. It looks like we made it, to quote Barry Manlow. There we go. I'm crushing to an end. That's it. That's your lot. Back tomorrow uh, at six o'clock, God willing, of course. Do stick around. Jonathan is off all week. He's not very well, so send him our best. But coming up next, the excellent David Priva. Till tomorrow. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Ian and the team. Lovely show this morning.